guys are dehumanized in society largely. And there used to be a really good uh, YouTube channel that got taken down years ago. And it kind of described this whole subject in that women are human beings, men are human doings. And any time that you see a catastrophe going on in the world, you'd hear how XYZ amount of women and children were killed, including blah, 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 number of job title, job title, job title. So the rest of the people that got killed, hurt, whatever, are just completely glossed over as dudes. But the only times they really call out the guys that were killed is by saying, oh, these four firefighters died. Something like that. And yeah, it's just, it's a really, it's shitty the way it is, but you know what? We can't change it. So what you do is you change your your framing and you operate within that kind of context. I'd look at that the other way though. I mean, you have a bunch of men categorized, identified by their function, and then a bunch of women and children died. Maybe they're being identified by their function. Their function is women and children. You know, like mm -hmm. what is the function of a woman is to be a woman. What's the function of a man? He's going to be a firefighter, a police officer, you know, whoever else was in that building doing whatever he was doing. I don't know. To be perfectly honest with you guys, um, I pissed a lot of bullshit in the internet and I don't remember exactly all of these mm -hmm. um, articles of mine you're quoting. But yeah, I guess, you know, the, the idea of treating yourself like a human, you know, to... The general idea is, you know, there are expectations on men. We, you know, we're supposed to go to school, get a good job, get a degree, you know, make a lot of money, buy a house in the burbs, a nice car, and, you know, provide for people. And the, the idea is that these expectations, these functions, you know, kind of bleed us out over time. And we become, you know, that role rather than, I don't know, I guess we, we lose ourselves in the, in the rigmarole of doing all that. And, yeah, it's easy to lose sight of that, to suddenly become a, a, a fixture in your relationship, like, you know, your, your wife's purse rather than, you know, the man of the house or whatever it is you're supposed to be aspiring to be. So I'm, I'm curious on your take on this, and obviously I don't expect you to remember all your writing. Um, broadly speaking, would you say that men are simply more conscious of the ways in which they're objectified nowadays as a result of our movement and others like it? That's a broad statement. I would say some men are probably more conscious of that. I think a lot of men, you know, just wake up and go to work every day and think nothing of it. And, and the reason why I'm curious is because I actually disagree with one of the earlier points brought up that the idea that this is a, a fringe movement, because I'm, I'm sure you're not on Instagram, but I am. And the fascinating thing is that many of the ideas that were considered radical, even basic shit like hypergamy, they're not going to use the word but they're going to explain the content. There are content producers with millions of followers who actually actively primarily promote what I would consider, you know, circa 2014, 15 red pill content. The core ideas are all there. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating though, and I don't know if I brought this up on stream, but I've definitely brought it up before my Reddit account got banned is that actually most of these guys are black. And what I find fascinating about the black community um, in terms of the ways that I've interacted with it and the way I see it play out online is that it's in the current climate, essentially impossible to cancel a black guy. <laughs> so as, as a result, you get this fascinating, and actually there are guys who are based in Miami who call themselves the red pill Avengers and no shit, dude, they have it's videos amazing. of them going out and like wow. running game on girls and going to clubs these dudes and they are amazing. use the phrase, they use the phrase red pill and these <laughs> videos have gotten you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of hits. So I would actually argue that, in fact, most of what the movement's core beliefs are have actually gone mainstream. 
in a big way among young people who are obviously our prime target demographic besides married men. I absolutely agree with you. We just saw this the other day. Uh, what's his name? Jack Murphy and Tim Pool. And they're both rattling off all the stuff as if they were reading the sidebar, all the terms, and it was in the correct context. It's it's all the stuff that was really, really edgy, you know, what, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Now it's it's completely uh, mainstream. I can't say internet as much as you guys, so I don't know all the stuff that's out there, but that's not surprising to hear. I mean, the whole country has gotten pretty polarized, a bunch of wacky directions. So, I mean, pretty much any crazy idea is probably out there somewhere becoming more common. I don't know. I don't know if I'm comforted hearing this. More like if I hear about edgy stuff like this is becoming mainstream, I should maybe, you know, take the Bitcoin and move somewhere quiet and far away. Uh, we have some advocates out there. I mean, Jill knows all about that. Uh, it, it's certainly a strategy. I will say, though, it, it's been impressive to see how the ideas that were originally reviled in, let's just call them shitty journalism, and made into alarmist hit pieces are now regular content. Like there was this fucking hilarious meme I saw. There's this dude named Hoodville on Instagram. And I promise this will be the only time I bring it up. Mike's laughing because he probably follows him. But like <laughs> he'll post memes with this rapper named Future. And the caption will be like, when you're out with the love of your life and you see your girlfriend walk in with another dude and it's like some <laughs> shocked face. I'm telling you, bro, like it's impressive how far this stuff has crossed like cultural and community lines. God, I'm so fucking old. Real. Yeah, the Overton window has dramatically shifted. I think the the point he's trying to make, and let me let me try and th tie this back into the the thought thread that we had earlier. I think the point he's trying to make is even to to young teenagers coming out of high school, going into college that are you know going to be in their uh, notwithstanding the modern day quarantine type of stuff, but they're going to be you know going into their prime of being able to have you know all these new social opportunities, opportunities to make new friends, talk to women. And, you know, these kids are on social media, they're all talking to each other, all sharing information. And there's a there's a thread of truth that's there, that's been there for men forever, that just, you know, used to be passed down from from dads or uncles or grandparents um, to their sons and grandsons and, and nephews, that now is not there. But but social media is is kind of bringing these, you know, diamonds in the rough kind of to the forefront of the conversation. And, you know, to what extent to what extent do you see that as, you know, kind of a normal guy, you know, do, does any of this kind of resonate with you, the people that you're talking to every day? Um, you know, you talked about a lot of people reaching out to you on Reddit. Do the people that reach out to you today still kind of, you know, does this seem to ring true from your writings from five, six years ago? What's your take on that? Honestly, I mean, the, the general nature of men and women in the universe, that's going to be pretty constant. But, you know, I'm a dude in his 40s. You know, I think what I think and what I had to say and how I navigate my life right now today, that's not relevant to some 20 year old in college trying to navigate the hookup culture. I have no idea how the hookup culture works in college today. Like what worked for me to get girlfriends when I was in high school, that's not going to work for a dude today. So, I mean, you know, my advice would be terrible. You want to, to navigate a marriage in your 40s, you know, hit me up. But like, you know. The young kids have got to figure a lot of the details out for themselves. The general stuff like, you know, don't get married, don't get her pregnant. You know, yeah, that that holds true. But, you know, as for how to get her to sleep with you, good luck. And to that end, uh, so you guys know about dare versus deer. And then you have a thread here, uh, 
the ABC stages of independence to make her wonder if, and the thread title goes on. But you've got appeasing, bargaining, confronting, dodging, enlightenment, uh, fucking, and gaslighting. So I think we got the, we can have the we'll have the link down below in the description. I actually did but, an alphabet thing too. Yeah, that's cute. So this is all you, man. It's a good thread. I was just wondering how does this uh, kind of like gel with the the dare versus deer kind of mentality? I mean, I've always taken the position that if you respond to an issue, like you bring the full logical thought of your brain and your full emotional response, if you give an issue your energy, you are admitting it is an issue. It is important. So if you try to like solve your wife, your girlfriend's or some, you know, some woman's problems, you have admitted to her that this issue is important. And if she brought that issue to her, then she is the one who's deciding, at least in this moment, what is important to you right now. So if you are agreeing and you know taking that up and taking on the mantle and trying to solve a problem, it better actually be important. So you know if you like are, are jumping to respond to everything a woman brings to you and you know doing anything at all, you've already admitted there is an issue. And so if something's like a non-issue, you shouldn't be wasting your time with that crap. You should be doing something else and, you know, brushing her off with two words or whatever it takes to dismiss her, laughing about it, laughing about the fact that she's, you know, incensed at all. Like, you're doing something that you kind of pop the balloon and take some of the air out. But, like, if you're going to confront an issue with your logical brain and your emotional response, it better be a real issue or otherwise you're just following her lead. Okay. it's good advice for uh, holding frame in a sense and handling shit tests and fitness tests. Yeah, no, no, I guess I, you know, a lot of my posts have the kind of wall of text, you know, anecdotal story, you know, format to them because, you know, I was some dude, you know, talking about stuff with my wife, what's going on in the world, things my friends were telling me I was seeing in their relationships. And so, I don't know, I think like, I guess the stories and the anecdotes are how I like to impart information. Like when you tell a good story, then like the person who's reading it, different parts will speak to different people. They, they all have different takeaways. None of those takeaways are wrong. Like everyone's going to find something else in it that kind of speaks to them and, I don't know. It's always been, I guess, a better way to impart information. Just like, you know, here's a list of the top 10 things, arch or things, red pill guys should know. You know, it's kind of boring. Hmm. How do you think your, has, well, before I say, how do you think, I'd ask the question, has your philosophy changed since the angry days of writing as you described them? Or is it roughly the same? You simply express it differently. Oh, fuck yes. It's changed a lot, actually. All right, so uh, yeah, I guess a little about me. So when I first found the red pill, you know, I'm a guy in his 30s in a bad marriage, you know, with a daughter. My wife's a bitch. She never fucks me. I find this red pill thing, or it resonates with me. So I change the way I behave and think a little bit. And I, you know, I keep kind of browbeating my wife into sex. It goes from like once a month to once a week, but she doesn't really respect me. She doesn't really love me. She just, you know, wants to keep the paychecks coming and thinks I might actually divorce her. So, you know, like her behavior changes, but the respect's not there. The love's not there. So actually, um, we've gotten divorced. I'm actually remarried now. Um, my first wife turned out to like girls. Uh, more on that later. But it turns out that when the woman is not gay, all of this working out and confidence and like having good boundaries and not taking woman shit, like that's actually really attractive to women who are straight. But when, you know, when your wife's a lesbian, it doesn't work out so well. So anyway, you know, I was this kind of angry guy writing edgy stuff on the internet, you know, and... I don't know, I think all of this, like this anger and this hatred, this rage toward women, toward society, like um, it's really kind of misplaced. Like, I think what you're really angry at is yourself. 
You're not good enough. You know, you, you're a 20, 30, 40 something year old guy and you can't meet your needs. You can't get people to have sex with you. You can't find romantic partners. You're not good enough. Whether it's your looks, it's um, your success, your value, whatever women in your age bracket are looking for, you don't have it. And you can't meet your needs and you would like to take part in that. And, you know, you're, you're just not measuring up. You're playing a wrong game under the wrong rules. You haven't focused on your fitness or your social skills. You ended up being a guy who doesn't get it and can't compete. And you have all this anger at women because it's hard to hate yourself. So you're mad because you think like something important is being denied to you. Other people have done you wrong. And when you have that mentality that someone else has done you wrong, that's hard to let go. But if you can take that anger and properly you know, direct it yourself, you got yourself to this point, you're really mad at yourself for not being good enough. It's easier to let that go. And that's the second part is you have to let that go. You've got to forgive yourself for being that guy who who didn't get it, who played the wrong game or the wrong rules, who got to a point where it wasn't good enough. You've got to let that go. And, you know, just realize you made the choices you made, you're where you are now. And when you're no longer angry, you can kind of see clearly what's the next move to improve my life, become a better me, you know, do the next thing to get closer to what I want. And sometimes those things you have to do are, you know, really obnoxious and burdensome. You want to be a guy who's going to actually get girls, you know, working out's hard and learning social skills is hard and embarrassing. And, it's even insurmountable for some guys. You might do everything right, and you might still not have a harem of hot cheerleaders ready to jump into bed with you. That's just not in the stars for you. But if you can let that anger go and just focus on doing the next best thing for yourself, you will be a better person at the end, even if you're not you know, ending up with the girl and the happy ending. So I guess that would be my big takeaway is you know, redirect that anger to yourself and then let it go. Forgive yourself for not being good enough up to this point, and then going forward, be better. I like that take because that, that is the vast majority of what we teach here, at least amongst the men I've come into contact with through the discord is it's fine to be angry. That's a phase and you're going to have to grow out of it. How you choose to grow out of it is certainly not externalizing it. The more you externalize it, the less you'll find a solution period. Mm -hmm. Even if you're wrong about who caused the issue, in my mind, the most important thing is taking responsibility for it. Not necessarily assuming it's your fault all the time. I think that's a little too extreme of a stance, but like you articulated, understanding that there's a position in life that you're in, you're in control over a decent amount of the factors of your life. So change the levers and you'll be a happier person. Yeah, I mean, the way the world works is stupid, and you know, but you can't change that. You're just a guy, so you're either going to live in the world or you're not going to live in the world. And so, you know, at that point, you know, it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some bad women out there. There are some women who like, you know, abuse their men physically. There are women who like lie to law enforcement, the legal system to like get guys in trouble or get more than their fair share of the divorce. There are women with serious mental health issues who will burn your apartment, vandalize your car. Like, there are evil women out there, and like, fuck them to hell. Those are bad people. But like a woman who just, you know, God forbid, has casual sex in college and then grows up and gets married and lives happily ever after, like hating her for having a life you wish you had, like that's misdirected. What you're really mad at is you for not being able to have that life. So realize that, forgive yourself, and then, you know, go fix your life. That is a bitter pill, though, for a lot of guys to swallow. I always say, you know, not everybody gets to be an astronaut. And, and that's just life. Life ain't fair. You know, you got to accept that. Change what you can. Like Rick was saying, you got to pull the levers and, and do what you can to kind of move the ball forward in the direction you want to go. But not everybody gets the win. That's just the reality of it.
Yeah, there's there's so many guys that that really kind of bemoan the the hand they're dealt. You know, when they they look at women, they think, oh, you know, women have it so easy. They don't they don't have all the pressures and expectations to provide and do the sort of things that that men have to do. And uh, I, I I come across guys like that, and I'm like, I wouldn't trade a a single thing. I wouldn't trade the pick the the most successful woman. I probably most of day most days I would not trade places with her. Um, and so it, it just baffles me that that men, young men in particular, continue to try and treat women as they would men. We see it all the time, and they they would expect a woman to react the way a man would react, or they try to communicate with them in the way that they would expect their friends to respond to, their male friends to respond to. It's just baffling to me that that you know these guys don't understand the fundamental fundamental truth that men and women are just inherently different and complementary to each other. Yeah. Moreover, I've, at least it's been my experience that a lot of guys have trouble interacting with other guys. Like I'll go to a gathering and I will see guys like, you know, they'll hang out with women and they'll talk about stuff with women, but, you know, but then like, like they don't know how to talk to the other dudes. Like, I don't know, maybe they're, they're not in the sports, they don't know how their car works, whatever the dudes are talking about, they haven't traveled or experienced enough. And like, they stand there awkwardly among other guys. And that kind of stands out. Like when a guy is only chatting up women in the room and like can't really hang with the dudes, like it looks a little weird. Like what's up with that guy? Like, mm -hmm. and so they're talking to women, I think, I guess more is, you know, they're just more secure doing that. But when it comes to like how to hang with dudes, they have just never learned or internalized that. Now, is this something that you're seeing with the younger generation or guys our age? I'd say a little of both. Like, um, I live out in the burbs, so I mean, I hang out, you know, with like 30, 40 year old guys. And, you know, so we see like, you know, your computer engineer down the road, he's like, you know, awkward as everything, you know, and then the guys I like do jujitsu with, like they're, they're more manly men who will hang out and like drink whiskey and watch UFC fights. So, you know, I see all types and I'm, I guess I'm, before I started working from home during this whole virus thing, you know, back when I was working in the law firm office, we had some younger attorneys come in. And so I'm seeing guys in their twenties, thirties and they're, you know, yeah, they're not quite, you know, I guess the, the same kind of guy as I was when I was growing up. I don't know. It's, it's hard to really put in the words, but like, yeah, younger guys, I don't, I don't want to say they're more womanly, but I think just a whole younger generation is trending toward that, I don't know, androgynous women are more like men, men are more like women. So the men talk to women like men and are awkward talking to men like men. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. I think everyone's just kind of trending toward average. Yeah, one of the biggest things I bring up with guys who wash up on our shores uh stealing that one from boss is um <laughs> do you have friends like so you want to get girls okay great you want to improve your career okay great like do you have fucking friends there is no life without company and if you can't do the basics of forming a bond with another human being like why would anybody fuck you why would anybody promote you yep yeah. Moreover, like if you don't have friends and somehow you fluke into having a girlfriend, like you're also going to try to make her into your best friend and your primary social outlet. And you're going to spread her really thin. Like she's going to have too much on her plate to do all that and be a good girlfriend. Yeah, I, I written had an article or a post that he uh, he had actually come up with. And and I, I commented on it to the effect of. Uh, I can I can respect somebody who ha who is not great with women, but I can't respect anybody who doesn't have one male friend. And you know if if you have if you have even one friend in the world, you are a discerning person. You're a, you are a person who cares about 
you know, getting to know people in, in, and cares about quality over quantity. If you have one friend in the world, one good friend, if you have zero friends, you're an utter failure. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like I've had the same best friend since I was eight years old, you know, and like he's still my best friend today, you know. So, yeah, I was one of those bullied kids in elementary school, you know, I was, you know, a little weird and socially awkward. Imagine that. And so, you know, all the other kids, you know, to make fun of me, the, the bullies would rough me up during recess. This is back in the 1980s, you know, so we don't have this zero tolerance for bullying, gay crap, you know, like um, self-esteem is king, any of that. So as long as my grades are good, my teachers don't care, my parents don't care, I'm not coming home with marks on me or anything. You know, so like everyone's like roughing me up. I don't have any friends. And this one boy, he goes home and he says, you know, mom, there's this strange kid archwinger at school. And like, and everyone's making fun of him and beating him up. And his mom is like really active in her church, one of like the important people there. And she says, you're going to invite him over and you're going to be his friend. And so he's the only friend I have. And he's only hanging with me because his mom made him. And I know that. And I hang out with him anyway, because, you know, he's all I got. And so I spend like my whole, you know, childhood and like the elementary school years with this one friend. But, you know, once you get past, you know, how, you know, like a dorky I was back as a kid and, you know, people kind of find me smart and funny. And so, you know, he's my only friend growing up. I go through my awkward middle school years, you know, those tween years where we're having like school dances, but like boys and girls are still weird around each other. And, you know, no one wants anything to do with me. And it's finally, you know, after 15 years of being a loner with one friend, I get to high school and I have, you know, I'm this you know weird loner kid who reads books, plays video games. I sneak out of my parents' house to go jogging because I'm, I'm weird like that or something. And so I'm in high school. I don't give a shit. I do what seems like a good idea at the time. I join the debate team. I sing in the choir. I'm, I run cross country. I join an after-school writing society. We write poetry and recite it to each other. I'm such a freaking nerd. But throughout the whole time, I don't give a crap. So I, I don't have any expectations of people. I'm not looking for friends. I'm not trying to get with women. I'm just doing what seems like a good idea. And like there's something to just kind of being authentic like that where you, you start to resonate with people. And then suddenly people think I'm smart and I'm funny. And so, you know, and then like, like there are girls who are talking to me and giving me attention. So naturally, I, I've been so love star my whole life. I run them off and immediately start chasing them with like boyfriend intentions. So, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't work out until I eventually I, I calibrate all that. And then and I spend all of high school with like having a string of girlfriends, like my nerdy friends, you know, they don't have anybody. And I have girlfriends all through high school, me, the socially awkward kid growing up. So, you know, yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, all those experiences. You I forgot what I was talking about. Put a pin in that, because you just said a really interesting word, calibration. And I know, Mike, we talked about this as a future uh, a future video, but what does that mean to you, calibration? Um, failing a heck of a lot, because that's really the only way. I mean, especially like if you're a guy who I'm, I'm having trouble with women or having trouble making friends or I'm having trouble, whatever you're doing, getting the job or whatever. Like you, there's something you're lacking. There's some skill, something you're not getting, and it's not something you can read about or I don't know. Like it's not the answer is not on the internet. You're gonna have to go out there. And you're gonna have to try and fail about five hundred thousand times, and then five hundred thousand and one suddenly things are working, and you just learn from your experiences. So yeah, that calibration came after me chasing off like fifty girls, and girl fifty one became my girlfriend or something. So there you go. Yeah, yeah it's it's failing and and then doing something about that failure. Yeah, but it's kind of one of those intangibles. Like I couldn't write in a notebook what did I learn from the first fifty girls I didn't get. It's just a matter of I'm trying things and I'm internalizing things. I, I you know I can't describe. I'm not writing it down. There's no rule book or bullet point list. Just you get better at something without even realizing what you're learning.
that's what I think a lot of guys miss is you, you shouldn't need an Excel spreadsheet and 19 different articles by idiots on the internet with a red hat, or you shouldn't need to listen to you know, hundreds of hours of YouTube content just to figure this stuff out. Like go out, talk to people, screw it up and, and get better. Yeah. If anything, getting on the internet and pretending you're improving yourself by watching YouTube and reading, you know, BS manosphere articles, like that's not really helping you. That'll give you some ideas, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's like, you know, building the muscle to gym. If you're not actually working, it's not getting stronger. And yeah. your muscle doesn't know what it's learning when you do curls or something. Your muscle is just getting stronger. It's the same with anything else. Yep. Yeah. A bullet point, you know, uh, PowerPoint on uh, YouTube is not going to do it. You actually have to put this into action. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously the Spurgs favorite activity is consuming for endorphins, a list of things for his future plan of inaction, as I like to say. <laughs> Computer toucher. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 Archer, I wrote this post called the computer touch of disease. It is phenomenal. I'll send it to you, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> I might be up on my own shit a little bit. Regardless though, um, one of the, one of the big prescriptions I've given a number of guys that's helped them has just been like, okay, you're now banned from any content that would be considered self-help or about things you should do. You're banned. You're only allowed to go out and do it for a while. And then you need to come back here, write about it if you feel like it, or just DM it to me, whatever. But like you're banned from filling your head with more bullshit. Yeah, I'd much rather real, read a field report about, I, I went out and I did this thing and I screwed it up. I taught, I went to talk to the hostess at Applebee's and it didn't work out so well. I'd much, <laughs> I, now, not only is that entertaining, but secondly, like there's 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 a real insight into what that guy's mindset was where he was screwing up and i can say look here's your here's your problem you know if you well, took and archwinger nailed it with an earlier point saying it's those guys who stopped reading and went out and did the thing mm -hmm. that makes you actually happy to have written whatever it was that inspired them 99 percent of the time there there isn't a problem anyway like i went out i talked to the applebee's hostess i said this she said this you can't dissect that conversation i mean the problem was she had a boyfriend or the problem was she's a lesbian or the problem was she has a yeast infection that day and she's not feeling it like she was not going to go home with you and there was no right thing to say you didn't screw it up you know and so some armchair guy on the internet dissecting your field report and telling you how you screwed up when he doesn't go out and talk to girls either like that's not helping anybody yeah, no. I, I always chastise people. Yeah. I say, um, when, when I read a, a question that's really thinly disguised as such, I say, bro, I hate to break it to you, but we're not here to give you the pussy password. It doesn't exist. Yeah, I do like the, uh, the feedback cycle that a lot of these guys give because others can learn from their experiences, especially when they're seeking uh, help for troubleshooting some of these issues that they've been running into, like a a common uh, just hitting the wall over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, if they can't see it because they're they're too buried in it, and it just, yeah, sometimes it happens. And having an external or third party uh, perspective helps. So yeah, I like this. I like the the field reports for that purpose. We're just having a real friend who's like you know the way you're standing and you're picking your nose. You know, someone who's reading <laughs> on the internet's not going to know that. Yeah. Man, you yeah. stink. Get a shower. You know. <laughs> There's, yeah, I'm what, surprised by how many of these guys are in the world that don't know the basics. How are they getting to this stage of their life without knowing you're supposed to take a shower every day? Or if you stink, you know, get in those folds, lose some weight, do the basics. Knows, 
there's no social circles for men anymore, but we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. We don't need to belabor it here. Yeah. It's just it just boggles the mind how it's become this big of an issue and when a, we have this out there today. It's one of those things also where yeah. once again there is no bulleted list or Excel spreadsheet. Like nobody sat me down and told me this is how you shower. Like, you know, it's just something you kind of pick up. Like you're you're you know, you're in a locker room, you do your thing and you know what does and doesn't stink. Like no one had to tell you how to do it. You just kind of saw it man the things i've seen i'll tell you afterwards oh my god well being kind of a guy of a little bit older generation as you know a few of us are on this call you know what what are the things that you you know we we just talked about a few times how uh you know young guys have to come to the internet and find this stuff now and these nuggets of truth are are out there but that's not the way it used to be um and certainly i'm sure that you know some of the wisdom that your dad or grandfather or any influential male figure in your life had, you know, imparted onto you. What are the the things that, that you took away from real life that stuck with you uh, that you synthesized into this understanding that, you know, that came up in your writing? <sighs> That's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. My dad never sat me down and talked to me about the birds and the bees. Like, you know, I, I don't think I learned much from the older generation. Mm-hmm. I think most of what I learned was, um, from my own generation, because they're the ones sitting in the same chair I am. They're the ones the same age, trying to get after the same girls I'm trying to get after, you know? So yeah, like, you know, just throughout my life, like, you know, I had my best friend and he was my only friend growing up. So, you know, his friends were kind of like my acquaintance friends. And so that's kind of our guy group. And we're, we're some, a little bit of the outcast nerdy guys, but even we still want girls. So we pine after like the, the choir girls and the debate team girls. And we have our little things we talk about when we're in private. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just finding guys in your own generation. I think it's if a guy doesn't have a group of friends or if his group of friends are mostly internet friends or they're mostly like, I don't know, like stinky loners or whatever the, the younger generation you guys can tell stories about now are. I I guess they're missing a piece there. But yeah, I think just most of this came from hanging with dudes and talking about our experiences. Like, so my best friend had this uh, friend he met in high school. Like, um, the, he was like the, the bad guy our, our moms didn't approve of at all. Cause like he got his car at a young age. Like, um, he came from a divorced home. He would always break into his parents' liquor cabinet. Like he had the cool stories where, you know, like he's fucking his girlfriend on the couch at age 16. And like her mom comes home with groceries and drops them all over the floor or something. And she was like, oh my God, what would you have done if I had been here that you know like an hour later it's like well, i was planning to be gone an hour actually <laughs> yeah. and so he had all these cool stories he was the one like hooking up with girls from clubs and stuff so you know like he was like our influence we were always at his house drinking and you know chatting and hearing his stories and yeah and like you know, so yeah i mean it's just guys in your own generation you know your own age who are going after the same girls i think they're the best source of what's working for girls your own age so what were your important takeaways looking back now uh from your cohort Oh, you know, I don't think I took away what I should have when I was that age. I think looking back, there's so much I should have done differently and no no point dwelling on that. But, you know, I I was a good boy back then. You know, I I thought of, you know, the same path we were all taught. that I'm supposed to date a girl for a while, you know, get serious, fall madly in love, be on the path to marriage. And maybe then she'll she'll give me the favor of sexual intercourse. And so I did not know I was supposed to be aggressively trying to have sex with girls. I guess uh, my opening experience came age 17. I lost my virginity. Um, so 
yeah, my first serious girlfriend, and I actually met in the bulletin board systems. This is like, you know, 1996 before we had the internet in people's houses. So, you know, I'm on my own, like, 2400 baud modem, like, logging into this, like, chat bulletin board. And there's this girl who lives across town, smokes like a chimney, you know, lives in a trailer park. Her parents are divorced, you know. And so I lie to my parents about where I'm going, take my dad's car, go and take her out on dates. And so this is the girl I end up losing my virginity with. And, like, she, you know, couldn't shut about her ex-boyfriends and all the guys she'd had sex with, you know, and, like, she's telling me all these stories and i'm like you know holy shit there is this like other side of the universe that i have not been a part of you know people are doing this stuff and for the longest time i thought it was only the bad people who do that you know girls in the wrong side of town guys like you know my you know our, my friend our moms all hated like i didn't know that like everyone's hooking up and i'm the weird one you know like i thought everyone else like those were the bad people and most people are like you know the honors student you know treat women like princesses crowd you know yeah, no one red pills you like a woman. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so I mean, looking back, you know, young me did not get the right lessons. Old me can look back at all kinds of things I missed at all stages of my life and say, you know, I didn't see that, you know, then, but I see it now. And who knows what I'm missing right now that I'll see in 10 years. Man, that sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a good place now. I'm in my 40s. I mean, how much more can I have to learn? You know, how much longer am I going to live even, you know, especially in this crazy world? Hmm. But that's interesting, that looking back perspective of, of like, hey, what's a male voice that I wish I had, you know, 10 years ago when I was, you know, 25, 26. Um, and, and I think that comes through in your writing. And really, though, I mean, young me, I don't think there is any male voice that could have told me, Art Winger, this is how it is. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't have listened. I'm, I'm, oh, you know, yeah. I'm a stupid guy who thinks he knows everything, you know, and today I'm a stupid guy who thinks he knows everything. So, you know, like nobody can tell me anything, but in 10 years to look back and say that guy was right. Yeah, you always you have to learn lessons one way or another, and sometimes that that's the hard way, right? Yeah, it's so I guess it's got to be experiential. It's not experiential. It's not real. Yeah, it's like you said. Yeah. I think I'm learning more from women than from men. I mean, I learned a lot from you know all the stuff I missed in my first marriage. I learned more about myself from my first marriage. I did about even you know my wife I was married to for ten years. Now here I am married again. You know, and I'm I'm still rediscovering myself every day. Like I'm thinking, learning more about myself from women than I am from from any you know mm -hmm. guy I've ever interacted with. Could you expand on that a little more? I'm I'm curious because. I've had somewhat similar experiences, but I'm curious on your take. Yeah, I guess like I mentioned earlier, my first wife turned out to like girls. And looking back, like there were some signs that at the time I did not realize were signs. And today looking back, like maybe they're even pretty obvious signs. Like um like the way we had sex. She didn't like kissing. Like every woman likes kissing. Like women will kiss you for four hours straight and like not have sex with you and they'll think that was a good night. But like if you try to have sex without kissing enough, that offends women. But like my wife, she did not like kissing at all. Like, you know, she would like perfunctorily like peck me a few times. And then like, she didn't like foreplay. Like, you know, it took me forever to finish because like, you know, I had to get all of my stimulation just from the intercourse act because she would not touch it. She did not want to acknowledge the penis. Like, and then like, there was one time we were having sex and like, you know, usually it was like starfish missionary where I flipped her over, sort of having sex from behind and she loved it. Because A, the angle was better for her, and B, she didn't have to look at me. Like, I don't know, she could like, pretend I was someone else, she was somewhere else or whatever. Like, it was so much better for her. And so, you know, 
but even then there were times where I would catch her eye, you know, and I could tell she wasn't really into it. You know, you, you die a little bit inside every time there. Cause you know, you have to bully your wife once a month into sex. And so, you know, so she ended up doing something kind of disrespectful to me, like nothing like serious, like cheating or anything, but like, you know, I ended up catching her a lie and, you know, I, I knew the truth and I asked her about something to see what she would say. And like looking me in the eye, she just told me a bald face lie. It did not miss a beat. Like it just came out like she was telling me what she had for lunch today. Strong eye contact, perfectly even breathing, nothing irregular about her vocal inflections. Like, like she could have been reading to me the phone book. And I'm like, oh my God, she, without missing a beat, this was her natural reaction and she is good at it. If I did not already know the truth, hmm. like, you know, I would have been completely fooled. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't trust anything this woman was telling me. And so, you know, things started going downhill from there. And um, I, toward the end, I remember the last time we had sex. She got back. She had to go with, um, out of town once a month for work. And she came back, and I liked what she was wearing. And so I said, there's no way you're not getting fucked tonight. And so, you know, I throw her into bed, and I have sex with her. And this time I flip her over. I'm doing her from in front, and I make her look at me. And I can see how bad she doesn't want it. And in the moment, it felt good. Like, it felt powerful. It felt like justice. And, like, that guy is a hard guy to look at in the mirror. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I shouldn't have to want to put a woman through that or be, you know, be in that kind of relationship. And I don't know, like, not liking who I am when I'm with a woman, like, that was beginning to end for me. And so, like, the next time my wife picked a fight and threatened divorce, instead of, like, having the usual, you know, red pill back her down, I said, you know what, I think that's a good idea. And she was taken aback by that, of course, you know, but I'm like, no, it's good, you know, I'm get the paperwork, you know, is all I care about is 50-50 custody with our daughter. If you give me that, I will be fair with you and everything else. If you try to screw me on that, I will fight you every step of the way and I will run aside of money. I got a six-figure job, I'll be fine. And so, you know, that worked out and it turned out she ended up coming out and telling me that she thinks she likes girls. And, you know, I, I guess that kind of felt better. Like it wasn't entirely my fault for not measuring up. There was something insurmountable. I have a really big penis, impossible to ignore. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so at least like 20 times during the divorce, she like tried to talk me out of it. And I'm like, look, you know, you can love whoever you want to love, whatever you want to love. But one thing you definitely do not love is me. You're just worried about money and you're worried about change. And you know what? I get it. I'm worried about money and I'm worried about change too. You know, but we're going to be fine. We're going to take good care of our daughter. We're going to move forward. And, you know, at that time I was already, you know, dating a bunch of other women. Like online dating is pretty easy, you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm tall. I work out. You know, I have a six-figure salary. Like 30-something single moms is like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was hitting online dating and having a pretty easy time of it. And so, you know, that, that made it even easier to tell my wife, like, no, I am not going to reconsider anything. And so, yeah, and even went our separate ways. Um, the, our daughter's doing great. She's 10 now. You know, we trade custody every other week. And she's got a girlfriend. She's happy. I'm happy. And now I'm remarried. Um, my my new wife um, is like eight weeks pregnant. Um, we're not officially telling people yet. But um, you guys are just some assholes on the internet. I don't know you anyway. So, so I can tell you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the NDA does not apply to cunts on the internet. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious, Archwinger, because I've been through an accelerated version of this, albeit with no kids. There comes a moment where you reach emotional deta detachment from a person, and then there's a point where you become comfortable with that emotional detachment, where rather than not caring, you enter a different stage of caring about the person and or being willing to work with them. Um, did you have a similar experience? 
Yeah, I would say the entire last three years of my marriage is when I kind of just unhooked my happiness from my wife and, you know, just went on, you know, our, my, my own separate ways. Like I was doing my own thing. She was doing hers. We were essentially roommates who occasionally fought about stupid stuff. And like when I stopped caring whether she was happy and stopped treating every one of her issues as serious issues and just kind of let her do her thing in rage because really she was going to be a bitch and try not to fuck me, you know, whether she was having those issues or not. And that gave me a lot more free time and a lot more time for introspection, a lot more time to do my own stuff. And I think those, you know, last few years of practice kind of being on my own and not riding her emotional roller coaster meant that by the time I got out the other end and you know, actually had a divorce going, I was already ready to work with her. I already knew what I wanted. I was able to talk her down every time she was, you know, having a crazy divorce issue and, you know, we, we mostly just focus on our daughter. But yeah, I mean, I care about her happiness to the extent that, you know, if she is unhappy, it affects me, it affects my daughter, it affects my wife. So, you know, I, I care about her happiness. I just, you know, we're not drinking buddies or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the point that I was looking for, um, because I think one of the odd things that's happened with a lot of the things, a lot of the basic concepts that we've written in the sidebar is that people internalize them as a means to be either perpetually angry or feel victimized. Um, whereas the experienced guys I've talked to who have been through it, whether it was marriage or girlfriends or whatnot, or even just casual sex dating scene, hold very little resentment towards others and particularly their partners. So mm -hmm. the reason why I ask the question is because I always, I feel like there's a point where you're willing to, as you said, decouple yourself from the person in terms of yourself, but that gives you a level of freedom to treat them like a human being. So yeah, I always that just... like to say the, the red pill is the radical belief that women are people <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that does come, I think, with life experience in general. I mean, as you get older and you do more things, you just you become a more complete person. You have more stuff to talk about. You're not awkward in conversations with people. You have more things you care about, more things you believe in, like to do. And I don't know, then suddenly, like, you know, to impressing a woman or being, you know, caught up in her issues is less important. And also impressing your friends, being caught up in their issues is less important. You're more secure and whole as your own person. And you can interact with the world as that person. Well, I want to tie this back to to what Richard was just talking about in terms of you know hey uh, we we say this a lot on on the the YouTube channel which is there's another human being on the other end of this interaction, right? I, and Ritten has said a couple of times that it, like advanced advanced game is all just really treating them like a human being, and let them make their own choices, and and accepting that for what it is and not really getting emotionally invested in it. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, so please correct me if I'm I'm mischaracterizing that, but uh, there's, there are a lot of threads to your your post on treating yourself like a human. And one of the interesting things that um, that I'd like to get your thoughts on here is you basically draw a, a difference between treating, for a lot of guys, the way that they're brought up or the way that they're conditioned is treating women like human beings is basically putting them up on a pedestal. And treating yourself like a human being is treat yourself like a, like a workhorse. And they're without even knowing it, they're much harder on themselves. It, it, I, a lot of people are, but especially men nowadays are much harder on themselves uh, than they need to be, than is just necessary. Uh, so I, I'd like your thoughts on that and, and kind of what prompted that in the post. Yeah, I guess at the time I wrote that, you know, I was feeling a bit like, um, you guys ever read Metamorphosis? Ovid? Franz Kafka. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, good follow-up, but yes. Yeah, it, it's a book about this uh, guy, I think his name's Gregor or something, you know, and he wakes up one morning and realizes he's like turning into some kind of cockroach creature. And the first thing he says is, oh my God, I'll be late to work. And, you know, so he, he's been supporting his family. His dad's out of work. You know, his, his mom is like a, a do-nothing. His sister's playing the violin. He loves his sister so much that he wants to spend all his money, like helping her become a virtuoso or something. And like, and so he goes to work every day, like, you know, to to provide for his family who all hate his guts and like take him for granted. And like he misses one day at work because he's horribly ill, turning into a cockroach. And his office is calling the man, you know where he is. So he never takes a sick day. And they come and demand to see him because they don't believe he's sick and he can't show them because he's like transforming into a roach or something. And like he doesn't want to see it because they'll like people worry about it. And so. And so the, the whole book is like, you know, his family has to eventually learn to depend on themselves because he's turned into like an insect. And like, you know, in the end, like they have to keep bringing him food and feeding him and they hate it and they finally kill him. And then once they're free of him, then the family goes on to live happier lives. It turned out that by being what he was to them in the beginning, he was actually holding them down. It's like the symbolic journey where he gets used and abused and bled out for everything he is. And in the end, like only by freeing themselves of him can his family be free of him. And I think, you know, I was kind of feeling like that guy at the time when I, you know, wrote that post. I'm thinking, you know, as guys, there are things we want out of life and we're told the path to get those is we have to earn those things. We have to perform. We have to do things. We almost have to earn the right to be human. Because, you know, what, what's a human? You know, what do we want out of life? Is we want enough money to have a place to live, food to eat, want a wife by our side, want to have kids. We want that normal life, but we're told we have to earn it. And so we, we you know, tell ourselves that we must do these things and then we will earn that life. But then often we do those things, we don't earn that life. In fact, we do those things that sometimes even contravene our ability to achieve that life because what we're really doing is by performing, we're sabotaging ourselves. We weren't aggressively seeking that life. We were aggressively performing tasks, hoping the rest of the world will bestow that life upon us. And it just doesn't always happen that way. Most times it doesn't. Um, and then you, you go on to outline essentially the polar opposite of what you described, which is um, a guy that wants sex every other day. He doesn't want to spend money frivolously on dates and buy a bunch of stuff for, you know, some, some woman who's basically just, you know, giving him a certain amount of attention and kind of an accessory to his life. He wants to hit the gym on Fridays after work, come home, cook himself a couple of chicken breasts, doesn't mind throwing one on extra for her. Uh, and then, you know, you go into like, hey, what if what if this guy just stuck to kind of what he wants and what what he values? And I thought it was a really interesting mental exercise of she would end up feeling manipulated because she had an expectation in her mind of what she was worth and what she wanted to get out of a relationship. And she, she made the choice to stay with him and settle for less, which is a, again, treating people like a human being. That was her choice to stay with this guy. Um, you know, but the ego can't handle that of course. So she, she's disappointed and upset about that. Well, every interaction between two people is to some extent, some kind of power negotiation, I mean, whether it's with a woman, whether it's with your friends, I mean, people have an expectation of you to fulfill some kind of role in your life. But if it's a woman, maybe, you know, if you're her casual partner, your role is very simple and easy. You can go cook chicken breast and ignore, except when you're having sex. And, but like, you know, if you're her boyfriend, you've agreed to a different role and she has different expectations. And so, you know, if you're her husband, you have a different role. She has different expectations. And so you have a role in her life. And if you fail to fulfill that role, 
that's going to piss her off like, you know, more sure than anything. And so if a woman's in a position with you where she has maybe misjudged your role, then she's going to find herself very put off by the fact that you're doing what you think your role is, but she had different expectations of you. And so, you know, I mean, I don't know how clear that is. Like, obviously, you know, if like you're some casual partner of a woman and she expects the girlfriend treatment, she's being unreasonable. But like, you know, if, you know, she's your wife and you're constantly disappearing and coming back at 3 a.m., you're not really fulfilling the role of husband very well. So maybe she has a legitimate grievance. Well, I think this is why it's so important to set the framework, uh, set the boundaries, the expectations early before people can get uh, comfortable and then feel jaded or, or tricked or whatever later. So as long as you're creating that, establishing that framework early on of this is what I expect, this is what the relationship is going to be, then you kind of avoid a lot of these issues long term. I think I actually said this in my interview, but I said, if you want to be the leader of the relationship or something paraphrased, like you have to fucking act like it. That's the role you think you want to play. Then you have to play that role. And sometimes that's not always being nice. Sometimes there will be some fantasies that need to be destroyed in the process of establishing something that actually works for you. And I think one of the most core tenets of the red pill is I won't say controlling the narrative. I don't like the word control. Um, I don't think it properly serves what's, what's happening, but I would say that in my experience, in most heterosexual relationships, you have a leader and a follower. If you want to be the leader in that dynamic, then you need to be willing not only to accept the responsibility of leadership, but also to control the fantasy. Yeah, I think I think shaping the narrative is a big, big part of that. Um, let me read one of Archwinger's comments here, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll try and keep this quick. Uh, power is really the core of the red pill. Uh, men show up here because they feel powerless. They either can't successfully find relationships, are in shitty ones or have just lost one and it feels like there's nothing they can do. Like they're helpless before the power and choice and whims of women. Women either choose them or they don't. It's the way they want things or the highway. Speaking about men here. Uh, and then they leave when they want. So talking about men in that way, and then you go on to say that, that taking power away from women, basically reclaiming personal power, not, not power necessarily over other people, but, but the power to- What's called autonomy autonomy uphold your boundaries make your own choices it's empowering themselves respect yourself over what other people want yeah and reclaiming that and and, and taking that for yourself I, I i would agree that it's the core of the red pill but um you know you you wrote this let's say what is it yeah you wrote this six years ago what's your take on that today six years later when you think about you know a lot there's a lot of conversation today around men and power structures yeah, I mean, really, it's just more about that negotiation, like I said. I mean, who says where the line is? Like, this is my autonomy. This is my rightful power. I'm just reclaiming it. You know, another person might say, no, you're stealing power from the woman. You're manipulating her. You're bullying her in a relationship she doesn't want. I mean, and I guess who's to say where that line should be? That's between you and whoever you're negotiating with. And I guess today we have a lot of external factors now. Society has a push, you know, in like the business world and other places where I guess other people now are weighing in their opinion on what powers you do and don't have a right to have as a man. And, you know, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. You know, I'm just trying to keep my head down and, you know, wait till Bitcoin hits a bajillion dollars and maybe go somewhere tropical. I don't know. 
what can yeah. I say? I'm not, I'm not really a problem solver here. You know, I'm just trying to get by and pay the mortgage and not make too many waves and, you know, enjoy my time with my kid and my wife. Yeah, but but contextually, as a guy who who has you know a family to think about, or who has you know friends and and extended family to think about, uh, certainly this affects you, right? It it affects you in terms of the conditions that are being imposed upon you externally versus what you choose for yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, I had the good fortune of you know I I work for a decent employer, a small law firm. We're not too affected by the the social whims. You know, we do work for a lot of big clients who are, but I mean, our function is very you know intellectual. We're not involved in any of that, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty clear with the wife that you know, we live pretty far off the grid. I mean, not not too far too far, but we're out in the burbs, you know, away from major you know urban centers. But I told the wife, you know second shit in our part of the city is on fire you know that's it we're on a plane we're out of here you know like second things get bad you know we, we're not sticking around for this like solving the problems of the world i think is a little bit beyond you know, just one man here on the internet yeah you gotta take care of you and yours first yeah and i mean i don't know i i think that's maybe the role of the man is you know once you're committed to a woman you're her husband and you have kids and you know expecting kids like taking care of your own is really you know more important than fighting a good fight for men versus women in society and whatever else is out there against us. I mean, if you want to get political for a second, I think that's a big problem with what's going on in the world right now is you've got people that have no attachments, idle hands. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the rabble rousing. It's these idiots. I'll give you an example, like the, uh, the riots we saw in 2020. Yeah, how, that's many really... the, how many of them do you think had families at home that they got to worry about taking care of? Probably not a lot. I think people who get swept up and stuff like that are just kind of lost and looking for something to belong in. Like, I think a lot, especially the younger generation, just don't have that sense of connection. Like, people used to be connected to their parents and their ancestors, They're connected to their children, to their descendants. They felt like they were a part of something, and mm -hmm. that something was their family, you know, or their community. And we don't really have that sense anymore. And so everyone's looking for something else to belong to. And so when you're untethered from your ancestors, from your descendants, from your community, and, you know, at that point, what differentiates one person from another is, I guess, is ideology. I think it's a fundamental breakdown of the social cohesion. How we fix that, I have no idea. Well, that's a big thing of what we deal with. If, if, if I had to consolidate the underlying theme of a lot of the people that I've helped, it is a lack of identity. Mm -hmm. And there's probably not a direct fix on a societal level in a globalized world to a lack of identity. It used to be a lot easier to pick a religion or pick a nationalism or whatever. And the, the people who want to bring us back there are just as dumb as the people who want to destroy all society. But to close the idea, if you can make a man's identity what he wants and he can define what he wants, I found that the progress becomes extremely rapid from there on out. That's a tough question to answer, though. Like, even if you ask me today, who are you? Like, you know, I don't know if I could put that into words. I'm still discovering myself every day, you know. And that's one of the core uh, core components of what we do is we try to get guys on the right track with their mission, to, you know, establishing some goals to achieve their mission, and really just getting into like how do you define yourself. And it's shocking how many people don't have this fundamental fundamental understanding of who they are in the world. They'd never even ask themselves the question most times of mm -hmm. what would what would be fulfilling for me as a person.
and our trigger i agree with your point but that's that's someone who's actually thought about what that question means to even have that answer you have to have thought about it to understand that it is not simply a work in progress but rather what i tell guys a lot of times is pick a direction and go and you have the right to change your mind later but you have to pick a direction and fucking go especially in your early 20s if you can't take advantage of all that testosterone and arrogance that your early 20s gives you, then like, I, I don't know what else to tell you. And the time to make mistakes and recover. Yeah, like go fuck yeah. up a little bit. That's such a hard age, that. though. I mean, in your 20s, like you don't know what you want or what's important at all. You're a stupid kid. You just want to, you know, get your degrees and get a good job and, you know, meet girls. And like, I don't know, like. Uh, but to me, at age 20, and to me who I am today, like I, I am nothing close to the same person. I don't think I was traveling in any direction at age 20. I was just kind of wandering around, lost and confused. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with you. But if you think about a kid who's essentially raised primarily by the internet and is stuck with a paroxysm of conflicting ideas, picking a direction and go, as far as I can tell, at least in my empirical anecdotal evidence, seems to be a pretty good panacea. Yeah, I can't speak for new generation. <laughs> They're not like us, man. Um, and, I, and by no means, I know everyone's shit on the younger generation forever, but you have to realize that like, half these kids haven't read an important book or they've, they've lived a life of what I like to call received opinions, meaning that the things that they'll share with you if you kind of poke into them and prod into them don't actually have substance because they're some they're it's an opinion that they received from somewhere else. Yeah, they're not able to mm -hmm. to distill that into a coherent thought or extrapolate other ideas based off of that. To to distill it into something useful for the people who listen to this, the reason why I champion pick a direction and go is the same reason why I ban people who work with me from self-help. It's stop filling your head with knowledge, go get some experience, even if it's not the most pleasant kind. And that will give you information about whether the direction you're traveling in is helpful or hurtful to you. Like I, I had a guy who I like to call my original project, who's been an absolute success and is a contributor on the server. But um, he had always been the guy who falls in love with the girl, like beta chases her, and then you know is subservient for the portion of the relationship. And so I told him candidly what i believe is you really can't call yourself a believer in red pill beliefs if you don't at least go out and try and have some casual sex and i'm not saying that because i think casual sex is the be all end all it just gives you some information about how people behave and what they want out of you and how those needs evolve over time and it was after the moment where he'd had a little bit of it and he got his very first same day lay that he texted me that day and was like, I actually don't like casual sex. And I said, congratulations, you're a man and you figured out what you want. <laughs> now you have to grapple with the consequences of getting what you want. So many things to come just with life experience in general. Like, you know, if you, if you knew what you knew now when you were 20, you would have taken a hundred different paths and you'd be in an even different place now. But I think a lot of these like kids in their twenties are still figuring it out. Just with time, they will figure it out. You, you can't not, otherwise, you know, you end up I don't know, jobless, homeless, dead, no women, I don't know, somewhere unhappy. Well, I, I think, think the I think is, we're is seeing less... a lot of that, though. The failure to launch is staggering. Yeah, it's less so the unhappiness of, like, becoming a drug addict or, like, working a dead-end job so much as it is, like, doing the basics and 
living in a one-bedroom apartment with no plan for your life that's really what haunts these guys yeah. There are a lot of like young kids, like still living with their parents, like at age 26, who are like, well, you know, I don't want to work at Burger King. I want to find the job I want, you know? And so then they end up. You know, no, it's worse really... than that. It's they're living at home now, well into their mid thirties. That's the new millennial reality. It's, 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 it's bad. I'm glad I do not see all the things you guys see in my day job. Hmm. Yeah, I have, I have some weird proclivity towards helping these people, but they tend to turn out to be fantastic projects. So that's just my curse. Yeah, it is worthwhile when they get out of mom's basement. You know, it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to get laid there in mom's basement. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Netflix and chill hits way different when you actually own the couch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've been going for about a little over an hour now, and I don't know how late you can go, but. One of the things we always try to get a uh, feel for is like what out of all of your writings, out of all of your time in the community, what are just a couple of things that you think guys need to know? What are the most important lessons to take away from all of this? I guess like we touched on earlier is the proper direction for your anger and, you know, just focusing on yourself. You're who you're mad at and letting that go. That's probably the most important thing ever. Once you're not clouded by all of that rage at how unfair the world is and that feeling that like women have wronged you or deny you something important like you can see the next step forward a lot more easily but yeah i guess um a corollary to that is you know the the whole like you know denigrating women and thinking you know they're they're, they're not so great because you know, i guess deep down inside you're jealous of their life like really look at that what the normal woman is like today so some girl you know spends her college years going out having boatloads of casual sex and then you know ends up husband hunting and doesn't find someone who's in her late 20s early 30s you know like she's not getting her just desserts she she played the game as well as she could and you know she made the choices that were right for her at the time and to i know denigrate or hate a woman for having the gall to live the life maybe we wish we could have lived i mean that's the ideal male life right like fuck around till you're about 32 and get married like that's pretty ideal for a guy right so yeah i don't know like the i guess focusing on what the other sex is doing and really fixating on that and bitching about it all the time like that's that's not productive like they're gonna do what they're gonna do and you know you just focus on yourself and what you want out of life and you know your path will cross many great women and many terrible women and you enjoy each woman for what she is and what she can do for your life and you know move on and you know maybe your ship's crossing in the night maybe you know you're you have flings maybe someone becomes your wife but you know like um, these are just people who are doing the best they can you're doing the best you can and you, you cross paths and do what you can with them it's interesting that you mentioned sort of the college turbo slut into like husband seeking behavior, because that's actually a very interesting corollary to what we were talking about in the very beginning of the show, which is a social psychological construct known as the apex fallacy, which is where you look at who's at the top of whatever you perceive, whatever your measurement perceives to be the top, and then assuming and extrapolating from there. And the reality is having dated a lot of young girls, uh, you know, there are certainly some who do that, but for the most part, the internet generation is having a lot less sex. So if it's really that that you're concerned about, or the idea that women can go out and quote unquote, get whoever they want, all that is, is the projection of male sexuality onto a woman, which is the dumbest thing you could do. And then those women who are like hooking up with guys, they they think all guys are, you know, like you know, casual sex whores because they're looking at the kind of guys they're hooking up with and they assume, you know, 
every guy who is visible to them because like the, the bottom three quarters aren't is you know is just like that and so like they're surprised when i meet a guy like what do you mean you don't have a, a history a mile long i thought all guys did well it's funny because and i can speak to this having a bit more involvement with the 20 year olds the young 20 year olds of today the, the funny part is the the one the women who are very well adjusted who had a lot of casual sex in college will actually tell you pretty much universally the same thing which is that men are actually pretty bad at casual sex oh, especially yeah. if you tell them first that it's casual and you don't want anything more they they get their egos involved at that point which is super funny but very understandable You know, I can't think of any more major takeaways. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I wrote a whole lot of bullshit in the internet and I do not remember nine tenths of it. I'm sure it was all very brilliant. <laughs> so I was sitting in the closet, actually. This is where I go because it's dark and it has like, you know, no windows. It's really quiet. So I will sit in my closet sometimes and like meditate for a little bit. And I was thinking, you know, like, you know, if I, you know, had my, my wish in the world, I'd probably be a writer or something instead of a lawyer. Like this pays the bills, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good salary, you know, it lets me buy a little bit of crypto every month, put a little bit in my 401k and hopefully maybe one day gather a rat race. But like, I think, you know, if in a perfect world, I'd be like a writer on the beach. I'd, you know, play guitar and, you know, sip good whiskey and drink good coffee and, you know, live out my days somewhere quiet and out of the way. I don't know, posting bullshit in the internet or writing a book or something. Well, when you retire, I'd love to meet up with you on the beach and we can drink some whiskey together and put some, put the pen to paper and get some thoughts down. Write some down. bullshit on the internet, bro. Write some yeah. thoughts <laughs> down on the internet. But yeah. to say, if you could make a living writing bullshit on the internet, you know, I'd probably be a millionaire by now. You can. Uh, I, hold on, you, wait. I, I thought you of, can. I thought of a good one, Archwinger, um, because your work is impactful and it is resilient. What do you think it is that that creates in the collective community's mind, the idea of you as a writer versus who you actually are? Like, where do you think that dichotomy emerges? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. I never thought about that. I mean, I guess it's mostly um, the, the, the edgy language. I think when you write language that has a little bit of like shock value to it, a certain tone, that tone kind of paints a picture in people's mind. Like, all right, here's a guy who's grabbed me by the balls, you know, has my attention. He's using these words, he's saying it this way. He's being really edgy and saying all the angry stuff that's speaking to me, but he's also saying like these smart sounding things because he's like not 19, he's like 40 or something. And so like he knows stuff. Like I'm going to read this whole post, even though I usually just read bullet point top 10 lists. And like by the time I get to the end, I'm like even angrier. I'm feeling something connected to my emotional center, you know, and I guess that's maybe how I you know, impact people on the internet, but uh, the, the real me is much more chill. Archwinger, he drinks and knows things. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things about his writing is, um, if I could just fanboy out for a second, your your writing is rhythmic in that it's short, punchy sentences that have, you know, you go from giving somebody some meaning, next sentence, a little bit more meaning, a little bit of context, back to some more meaning. And there's not a lot of fluff. I think it comes from knowing your audience. Like, I'm, I want to, like, you know, cast any stones. But, like, you know, everyone directed me when I first showed up to the Red Pill to, like, Rolo's writing. And I'm reading it, and it's all the right stuff. But his writing style is way too flowery for me. I'm having trouble academic. following it. And like, very you know, academic, yeah. But modern testing indicates I have a decent IQ. I have a lot of degrees. I'm a reasonably smart guy. I'm having trouble following this stuff. It's just hard to read. You know, whereas, like, I'm on a Red Pill, I'm reading stuff. And, like, I'm reading, like, you know, 
getting Lou Boyle's post or something. I'm like, why is that speaking to me more? Like what he's saying is like, you know, half as much content. And I'm like, it's his tone. Like the way you write, like that somehow opens people's minds. So I guess when I sit down to piss something out of my keyboard, I try to make it a little bit punchy. I don't know. Is punchy the right word? Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I've written the vast majority of my posts on my phone, on the toilet, maybe gone back and edited them. My favorite thing to do is post something or what I used to do when I was still writing is I would write something in like 25 minutes and then I'd go back and edit it a few times, you know, correct the spelling errors, like all that other bullshit that comes out on the phone and just fix the little bits as it was going. And I agree with you that I think the, the tone creates the character and the character is what people idolize, um, regardless of whether the collective perception of you aligns with your personal self is kind of irrelevant, actually. Yeah, style counts for a lot. I guess going along that line, that uh, what were you guys expecting? Like, you know, the archwinger. Like, I'm nobody special. I'm just some dude. I'm not some guru on the mountaintop wisdom guy. You know, what were you expecting from all that tone and all that writing? Honestly, we've done enough of these now. It's, it's. This is exactly what I expected. It's. I'm just kind of used to it, I guess. Yeah, I I came into this with no expectations, and uh, and also I had not read uh, most of your work until Joe sent it to me this week, and so <laughs> can't believe it. I had uh, I had I had read a bunch of stuff, but uh, had not gone through the the complete work until this week. But it struck me as all really tight and cohesive in terms of how you were presenting everything from start to finish. Uh, few people nowadays, and I mean young people that are writing on the internet few people can make uh, a, a point and take you from a to b to c in, in via a coherent train of thought sadly uh, it's a lost it's a lost art form uh, i would say um but that's what struck out at me most and what's surprising is that uh, what surprised me most about talking to you today is that you've forgotten more of this wisdom that you've dished out on paper right um well like i said most of it's like more about the red pill than most people will know in a lifetime like 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 i was saying life is you know stuff you mostly internalize opposed to stuff you write down and record you know so there are things you pick up and they become a part of you and it's not really something you consciously know or recall but Hmm. yeah i guess i kind of stopped actively writing stuff because i was sitting down typing a post and i realized you know like I have already said this in a different way in like three other posts. Or I think I read something Whisper wrote that's like exactly the same thing. Like I'm wasting my time here. And like, here I am a dude, you know, pushing 40 now. I'm probably about to get divorced. I'm a fraud. I don't know anything, you know? I, I can't tell a 22 year old guy how to have a hookup in college intelligently. I can tell him not to get married. I can tell him generally what women are like, but like my advice is becoming outdated. Like the original red pill was started, you know, like I guess a you know, decade or two ago by some dude in his 30s. Now there's a new generation of guys coming in. And what I have to say is probably pretty dated. I can't help those guys out too, too much. I can just write articles. that will speak to their anger. But I don't think their anger is that productive. It's misdirected. Well, I think you're, I, I, you're selling I yourself take, short a little bit. Yeah, I find that take funny because <laughs> it, it's actually that type of advice that they need the most. But that having been said, I totally understand it. I, I've moved away from it. And it wasn't just my account getting suspended. You grow out of it at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and that's healthy. Thinking, that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, you've made the impact that you think you can make. And for me, right now, my hobby is 
helping people mostly in real life. And we have a filtering mechanism through the Discord that brings me good people. And eh, that's enough for a hobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, th- I just wanted to point out really quickly is that what we were talking about right now with your older writings, a lot of this stuff is evergreen material. And having it out there that you can refer back to is nice. This is like one of the things we've done with the uh, the RPU episodes is that now once it's out there, we don't have to keep re- repeating ourselves over and over again. We just drop the link, done. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, life is so much easier having that ability it's a, it's to reference uh, touchstone material. Yeah. I, I don't have to spend another 15 minutes explaining frame to somebody. Fantastic. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, the material you've written is has been monumental in that respect. So, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for... So, good job. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if just, uh, just one guy is going to the gym or talking to girls more, you know, I've made the world a very slightly better place and hopefully balanced out my karma for all the crap I am taking, using, and enjoying from the universe. Dude, hearing you say those words was eerie because I'm not kidding that maybe other than a word or two, it is the exact same thing that I say to people when they ask mm-hmm. me why I've done any of this. Mm-hmm. Yep. When we get off here, we gotta get you on the server sometime. I think it'd be fun to to do a, a little meet and greet sometime. Yeah, hundred percent. Let the guys throw some questions at you instead of just us three. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to do this again sometime. Cool. Hey, Archwinger, I'm Indian and I think I'm gay. How do I how do I get white pussy? <laughs> just be prepared. Just be prepared. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm the fun obscene one in this group. Well, oh, I think man. we'll uh, we'll wrap it up right there because we got some editing to do, uh, a few things to beep out. Thank you for that, written. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, this guys. This has been so fun. It has been fun. I want to pre- yeah, say thank you for uh, for joining us. So, for those that don't know that we've been talking about, we do have a private community that we mentor. We have a public side, a private side. Go check it out. Link will be in the description, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks so much for your time, Archwinger, bro. Great to meet you. Guys are dehumanized in society, largely. And there used to be a really good uh, YouTube channel that got taken down years ago. And it kind of described this whole subject in that women are human beings. Men are human doings. And any time that you see uh, a catastrophe going on in the world, you'd hear how XYZ amount of women and children were killed, including blah, 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 number of job title, job title, job title. So the rest of the people that got killed, hurt, whatever, are just completely glossed over as dudes. But the only times they really call out the guys that were killed is by saying, oh, these four firefighters died. Something like that. And yeah, it's just, it's a really... It's shitty the way it is, but you know what? We can't change it. So what you do is you change your your framing and you operate within that kind of context. I'd look at that the other way, though. I mean, you have a bunch of men categorized, identified by their function, and then a bunch of women and children die. Maybe they're being identified by their function. Their function is women and children. You know, like mm-hmm. what is the function of a woman is to be a woman. What's the function of a man? He's going to be a firefighter, a police officer, you know, whoever else was in that building doing whatever he was doing. I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you guys, um, I pissed a lot of bullshit in the internet, and I don't remember exactly all of these um, articles of mine you're quoting, but 
yeah, I guess, you know, the, the idea of treating yourself like a human, you know, the, the general idea is, you know, there are expectations on men. We, you know, we're supposed to go to school, get a good job, get a degree, you know, make a lot of money, buy a house in the burbs, a nice car, and, you know, provide for people. And the, the idea is that these expectations, these functions, you know, kind of bleed us out over time. And we become, you know, that role rather than, I don't know, I guess we, we lose ourselves in the, in the rigmarole of doing all that. And yeah, it's easy to lose sight of that, to suddenly become a, a, a fixture in your relationship, like, you know, your, your wife's purse rather than, you know, the man of the house or whatever it is you're supposed to be aspiring to be. So I'm, I'm curious on your take on this, and obviously I don't expect you to remember all your writing. Um, broadly speaking, would you say that men are simply more conscious of the ways in which they're objectified nowadays? as a result of our movement and others like it? That's a broad statement. I would say some men are probably more conscious of that. I think a lot of men, you know, just wake up and go to work every day and think nothing of it. And, and the reason why I'm curious is because I actually disagree with one of the earlier points brought up that the idea that this is a, a fringe movement, because I'm, I'm sure you're not on Instagram, but I am. And the fascinating thing is that many of the ideas that were considered radical, even basic shit like hypergamy, they're not going to use the word, but they're going to explain the content. There are content producers with millions of followers who actually actively primarily promote what I would consider, you know, circa 2014, 15 red pill content. The core ideas are all there. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating though, and I don't know if I brought this up on stream, but I've definitely brought it up before my Reddit account got banned is that actually most of these guys are black. And what I find fascinating about the black community um, in terms of the ways that I've interacted with it and the way I see it play out online is that it's in the current climate, essentially impossible to cancel a black guy. <laughs> so as, as a result, you get this fascinating and actually there are guys who are based in Miami who call themselves the red pill Avengers and no shit, dude, they have it's videos amazing. of them going out and like wow. running game on girls and going to clubs these dudes and they are amazing. use the phrase, they use the phrase red pill. And these hmm. videos have gotten, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of hits. So I would actually argue that in fact, most of what the movement's core beliefs are have actually gone mainstream in a big way among young people who are obviously our prime target demographic besides married men. I absolutely agree with you. We just saw this the other day. Uh, what's his name? Jack Murphy and Tim Pool. And they're both rattling off all the stuff as if they were reading the sidebar, all the terms, and it was in the correct context. It's it's all the stuff that was really, really edgy, you know, what, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Now it's, it's completely uh, mainstream. I can't say internet as much as you guys, so I don't know all the stuff that's out there, but that's not surprising to hear. I mean, the whole country has gotten pretty polarized, a bunch of wacky directions. So, I mean, pretty much any crazy idea is probably out there somewhere becoming more common. I don't know. I don't know if I'm comforted hearing this, more like if I hear about edgy stuff like this is becoming mainstream, I should maybe, you know, take the Bitcoin and move somewhere quiet and far away. Uh, we have some advocates out there. I mean, GLO is all about that. Uh, it's certainly a strategy. I will say, though, it, it's been impressive to see how the ideas that were originally reviled in, let's just call them shitty journalism, and made into alarmist hit pieces are now regular content. Like, there was this fucking hilarious meme I saw. There's this dude named Hoodville on Instagram. 
and I promise this will be the only time I bring it up. Mike's laughing because he probably follows him. But like he'll post memes with this rapper named Future and the caption will be like, when you're out with the love of your life and you see your girlfriend walk in with another dude and it's like some shocked face. I'm telling you, bro, like it's impressive how far this stuff has crossed like cultural and community lines. God, I'm so fucking old. Real. Yeah, the Overton window has dramatically shifted. I think the the point he's trying to make, and let me let me try and th- tie this back into the the thought thread that we had earlier. I think the point he's trying to make is, even to to young teenagers coming out of high school, going into college, that are you know going to be in their, uh, it, notwithstanding the modern day quarantine type of stuff, but they're going to be you know going into their prime of being able to have, you know, all these new social opportunities, opportunities to making friends, talk to women. And, you know, these kids are on social media. They're all talking to each other, all sharing information. And there's a there's a thread of truth that's there that's been there for men forever that just, you know, used to be passed down from from dads or uncles or grandparents um, to their sons and grandsons and, and nephews that now is not there. But but social media is is kind of bringing these you know diamonds in the rough kind of to the forefront of the conversation. And, you know, to what extent? To what extent do you see that as, you know, kind of a normal guy, you know, does any of this kind of resonate with you, the people that you're talking to every day? Um, You know, you talked about a lot of people reaching out to you on Reddit. Do the people that reach out to you today still kind of, you know, does this seem to ring true from your writings from five, six years ago? What's your take on that? Honestly, I mean, the, the general nature of men and women in the universe, that's going to be pretty constant. But, you know, I'm a dude in his 40s. You know, I think what I think, what I had to say and how I navigate my life right now today, that's not relevant to some 20 year old in college trying to navigate the hookup culture. I have no idea how the hookup culture works in college today. Like what well, worked for me to get girlfriends when I was in high school, that's not going to work for a dude today. So, I mean, you know, my advice would be terrible. You want to know how to navigate a marriage in your 40s, you know, hit me up. But like, you know. The, the young kids are got to figure a lot of the details out for themselves. The general stuff, like, you know, don't get married, don't get her pregnant, you know, yeah, that, that holds true. But, you know, as for how to get her to sleep with you, good luck. <laughs> and to that end, uh, so you guys know about dare versus deer. And then you have a thread here, uh, the ABC stages of independence to make her wonder if, and the, the thread title goes on. But you've got appeasing, bargaining, confronting, dodging, enlightenment, uh, fucking, and gaslighting. So I think we got the, we can have the we'll have the link down below in the description. I actually did but, an alphabet thing too. Yeah, that's cute. So this is all you, man. It's a good thread. I was just wondering how does this uh, kind of like gel with the the dare versus deer kind of mentality? I mean, I've always taken the position that if you respond to an issue, like you bring the full logical thought of your brain and your full emotional response, if you give an issue your energy, you are admitting it is an issue, it is important. So if you try to like solve your wife, your girlfriends or some, you know, some woman's problems, you have admitted to her that this issue is important. And if she brought that issue to her, then she is the one who's deciding, at least in this moment, what is important to you right now. So if you are agreeing and you know taking that up and taking on the mantle and trying to solve a problem, it better actually be important. So you know if you like are, are jumping to respond to everything a woman brings to you and you know doing anything at all, you've already admitted there is an issue. And so if something's like a non-issue, 
you shouldn't be wasting your time with that crap. You should be doing something else and, you know, brushing her off with two words or whatever takes dismiss her, laughing about it, laughing about the fact that she's, you know, incensed at all. Like, you're doing something that you kind of pop the balloon and take some of the air out. But, like, if you're going to confront an issue with your logical brain and your emotional response, it better be a real issue or otherwise you're just following her lead. Okay. it's good advice for uh, holding frame in a sense and handling shit tests and fitness tests. Yeah, no, no, I guess I, you know, a lot of my posts have the kind of wall text, you know, anecdotal story, you know, format to them because, you know, I was some dude, you know, talking about stuff with my wife, what's going on in the world, things my friends were telling me I was seeing in their relationships. And so, I don't know, I think like, I guess the stories and the anecdotes are how I like to impart information. Like when you tell a good story, then like the person who's reading it, different parts will speak to different people. They, they all have different takeaways. None of those takeaways are wrong. Like everyone's going to find something else in it that kind of speaks to them and, and that's always been, I guess, a better way to impart information. Just like, you know, here's a list of the top 10 things, or or things, red pill guys should know. You know, that's kind of boring. Hmm. How do you think your has, well, before I say, how do you think, I'd ask the question, has your philosophy changed since the angry days of writing as you described them? Or is it roughly the same? You simply express it differently. Oh, fuck yes. It's changed a lot, actually. All right, so uh, yeah, I guess a little about me. So when I first found the red pill, you know, I'm a guy in his 30s in a bad marriage, you know, with a daughter. My wife's a bitch. She never fucks me. I find this red pill thing. It resonates with me. So I change the way I behave and think a little bit. And, I, you know, I keep kind of browbeating my wife into sex. It goes from like once a month to once a week. But she doesn't really respect me. She doesn't really love me. She just, you know, wants to keep the paychecks coming and thinks I might actually divorce her. So, you know, like her behavior changes, but the respect's not there. The love's not there. So actually, um, we've gotten divorced. I'm actually remarried now. Um, my first wife turned out to like girls. Uh, more on that later. But it turns out that when the woman is not gay, all this working out and confidence and like having good boundaries and not taking woman shit, like that's actually really attractive to women who are straight. But when, when your wife's a lesbian, it doesn't work out so well. So anyway, you know, I was this kind of angry guy writing edgy stuff on the internet, you know, and... I don't know, I think all of this, like this anger and this hatred, this rage toward women, toward society, like, um, it's really kind of misplaced. Like, I think what you're really angry at is yourself. You're not good enough. You know, you, you're a 20, 30, 40 something year old guy and you can't meet your needs. You can't get people to have sex with you. You can't find romantic partners. You're not good enough, whether it's your looks, it's um, your success, your value, whatever women in your age bracket are looking for, you don't have it. And you can't meet your needs and you would like to take part in that. And, you know, you're, you're just not measuring up. You're playing the wrong game under the wrong rules. You haven't focused on your fitness or your social skills. You ended up being a guy who doesn't get it and can't compete. And you have all this anger at women because it's hard to hate yourself. So you're mad because you think like something important is being denied to you. Other people have done you wrong. And when you have that mentality that someone else has done you wrong, that's hard to let go. But if you can take that anger and properly, you know, direct it yourself, you got yourself to this point, you're really mad at yourself for not being good enough. It's easier to let that go. And that's the second part is you have to let that go. You've got to forgive yourself for being that guy who, who didn't get it, who played the wrong game or the wrong rules, who got to a point where it wasn't good enough. You've got to let that go. And, you know, just realize you made the choices you made, you're where you are now. And when you're no longer angry, you can kind of see clearly what's the next move to improve my life, become a better me, do the next thing to get closer to what I want. And sometimes those things you have to do are, you know, really obnoxious and burdensome. You want to be a guy who's going to actually get girls, you know, 
working out's hard and learning social skills is hard and embarrassing and it's even insurmountable for some guys. You might do everything right and you might still not have a harem of hot cheerleaders ready to jump into bed with you. That's just not in the stars for you. But if you can let that anger go and just focus on doing the next best thing for yourself, you will be a better person at the end, even if you're not, you know, ending up with the girl and the happy ending. So I guess that would be my big takeaway is, you know, redirect that anger to yourself and then let it go. Forgive yourself for not being good enough up to this point and then going forward, be better. I like that take because that, that is the vast majority of what we teach here, at least amongst the men I've come into contact with through the Discord, is it's fine to be angry. That's a phase and you're going to have to grow out of it. How you choose to grow out of it is certainly not externalizing it. The more you externalize it, the less you'll find a solution, period. Mm -hmm. Even if you're wrong about who caused the issue, in my mind, the most important thing is taking responsibility for it. Not necessarily assuming it's your fault all the time. I think that's a little too extreme of a stance, but like you articulated, understanding that there's a position in life that you're in, you're in control over a decent amount of the factors of your life. So change the levers and you'll be a happier person. Yeah, I mean, the way the world works is stupid and, you know, but you can't change that. You're just a guy. So you're either going to live in the world or you're not going to live in the world. And so, you know, at that point, you know, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some bad women out there. There are some women who like, you know, abuse their men physically. There are women who like lie to law enforcement, a legal system to like get guys in trouble or get more than their fair share in a divorce. There are women with serious mental health issues who will burn your apartment, vandalize your car. Like there are evil women out there and like, fuck them to hell. Those are bad people. But like a woman who just, you know, God forbid, has casual sex in college and then grows up and gets married and lives happily ever after, like hating her for having a life you wish you had, like that's misdirected. What you're really mad at is you for not being able to have that life. So realize that, forgive yourself, and then, you know, go fix your life. That is a bitter pill, though, for a lot of guys to swallow. I always say, you know, not everybody gets to be an astronaut. And, and that's just life. Life ain't fair. You know, you got to accept that. Change what you can. Like Rick was saying, you got to pull the levers and, and do what you can to kind of move the ball forward in the direction you want to go. But not everybody gets the win. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, there's, there's so many guys that that really kind of bemoan the the hand they're dealt. You know, when they they look at women, they think, oh, you know, women have it so easy. They don't they don't have all the pressures and expectations to provide and do the sort of things that that men have to do. And uh, I. I come across guys like that and I'm like, I wouldn't trade a, a single thing. I wouldn't trade the pick the, the most successful woman. I probably most of day, most days I would not trade places with her. Welcome to the show. I'm Joe. I'm here with Mike. It is written and our special guest, Arschwinger. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's uh, good to be here, guys. I'm glad we could sync up like this. Indeed. So full confession, I have been watching the, your YouTube channel a little bit from afar, but not really, really closely. I, I kind of prefer to read my content rather than watch stuff. It takes too damn long to watch videos, even on double speed. But um, I guess the fa my favorite thing you guys have been doing has been the Red Pill interviews, which is why I wanted to jump on and do one of these. I just think it's really, really cool to kind of humanize these walls of text reading the internet, the objectionable language, opinionated viewpoints, all the edginess, you know, put a face and a personality and a voice behind it. It's it's kind of cool to see that. And 
be reminded that we're all dudes on the internet. Like we're all normal guys working jobs, paying rent, cooking food, going to the gym. Maybe we're really lucky having sex once in a while, you know, the usual stuff, but <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, it's nice to put a, a name to a face, so to speak, or a voice to a, a paragraph or at, at least a, a little bit of a personality behind it. And, to be honest, it makes me feel like a little bit less of a fraud. Like, I don't know, I'm regarded as some significant manosphere, something or other icon, and I'm I'm just some dude. I'm no smarter or better and more capable than anybody else. I just type some crap on the internet and some people happen to like it, and I'm just happy to be a part of the conversation. Honestly, the irony, Archwinger, is that the people who are the actual prolific writers generally have the same sentiment. Well, yeah, it's it's an important conversation. Like, um, Really, it's become kind of fringe, marginal, and radical. Like, even if you disregard all the crazy shit we say about women, all the denigrating negative misogyny, put that in the corner. Just like the main conversation. You know, our experiences as men, our stories, like, men kind of have it hard. Like, socially, we're maybe the more disadvantaged of the two sexes. And you face some, some difficult challenges, a lot of expectations. And it's really kind of unfair for men out there. And getting worse with passage of time and... When you say that, just say that, the male experience, like that's a radical statement. People are like, oh my God, you're not one of those guys, are you? And well, you know, yeah, I mean, it's become kind of radical. And I guess that's because the popular present day narrative is that men are these like, I don't know, powerful, privileged, patriarch oppressors or something like that. I don't know. But, and so when you say men have it hard, men are weaker, we're actually beasts of burden, a workhorse of society, used and abused, chewed up, spit out bled out everything we have everything we are you know goes out in the society and at the end of the day half of us don't even have a woman to share our bed you know and it's it's kind of rage inducing and difficult And when you say that it's a really radical viewpoint like just kind of very fringe so it's an important conversation to have because you know if, quote they don't want you to have it you should be having that conversation that's yeah, a pretty I, common I uh, it's a, well it's a pretty common thing that we see throughout uh, society where everybody kind of just ignores the 80 percent Everybody kind of zeroes in on that top 5, 10, 20% and then extrapolates that as if that's the experience of everybody else. And it's not. Yeah. Jordan Peterson kind of makes this point about like you're taking the top few percentage of guys that have, you know, taken, you know, that have traditionally held power and, and extrapolated that out as some corrupt overarching framework. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't hold up. But uh, to, to bring things back to what you said, I find it interesting. I, I always laugh when people use the term men's rights activists. Um, because most of us are are just trying to scratch out the rent during the day. Like we have time to go downtown and protest any of these things. It just, <laughs> it's almost absurd. Um, but really the, the, the men's rights activist movement kind of died and, and these conversations are what's left, you know, guys just trading notes about their own experience. And it's interesting in the modern era, I'm, I'm interested in your take on kind of where the conversation goes from here, where, you know, we're, these conversations are being pushed out of the mainstream. If not men, at least the conversations are. Man, I, I got no clue. I, I'm not a problem solver here. I just, I'm just some guy on the internet. But, um, you know, like when you say men have it hard, men have it difficult, you know, we're beasts of burden, we're to work horses, you know, when people are like, cry me a river, you uh, cis, heteronormative, white male, patriarchal overlord, you, you know, some, some, you know, black trans person, a wheelchair has it worse. Well, you know, I guess you're right. You know, that person does have it worse than I do, but I'm still an equal and valid human being. You know, my experiences, all of our experiences, you know, still deserve to be shared and discussed. Our stories all need to be told. But, 
you know, it's become a very marginal thing. Like some people think that the world's heard enough of certain kinds of people's experiences and those people need to shut up. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, I guess I'd be lying if I said it didn't feel good. You know, back when I was more active on the red pill, I get messages from people like, hey, Artwinger, this thing you wrote about some stupid topic really cleared something up for me. Now I'm going to the gym more. I'm taking better care of myself. Or I told my bitchy girlfriend off, you know, and dumped her. She was cheating on me anyway. Or, you know, um, I finally talked to this girl I liked and she turned me down flat. I knew she would. But if I didn't talk to her, I wouldn't talk to the next girl or the one after that or one after that. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't talk to the girl. Like, you know, every things you said helped me out. And, you know, that, that feels kind of good. Like, even if, you know, in some small way, some small number of men are being helped by this conversation, it's important to have. And, you know, I don't know. I, I would always say that if some paragraph I piss out in 10 minutes on my lunch break gets one guy to go to the gym, that's like my most important 10 minutes of the day. You know, like the rest of the stuff I'm just making my boss money. So, you know, I guess that's, that's crazy. That's crazy you say that because I say almost word for word the exact same thing, which is if anything I ever wrote convinced one guy to talk to a girl or go to the gym, then I would feel fulfilled as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, word that's for word. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the rest of the day, you know, you're making your boss money, you're scratching out the rent, like, I don't know, I mean, I guess we feel some sense of purpose, some drive, virtue, whatever you want to call it, some some sense of karmic balance that, you know, we can't just take and use and enjoy, we want to put something back into the universe, you know, help someone yeah. somehow, and, and I, I don't know, that sense kind of, I think, drives most of us. So tell us how, tell us how you got to that point. Oh, uh, which point? I've been talking a lot. <laughs> From well, from from being just a guy who's scratching out the rent, making his boss some money, to this, you know, this kind of writing overall. Oh, I, I might have used that word correctly, but this body of work that you put together, which is is really, from a writing standpoint alone, is impressive. But uh, the way you put together your arguments is is quite well done. How do you go from just a guy scratching out the rent to I want to contribute, I want to put a cohesive, you know, kind of body of work. Yeah, like how far back you want to go? You want to go like to childhood arch when you're getting bullied in elementary school or just go like to the guy in his 30s in a bad marriage, you know? Well, I was I thinking more, more of the red pill moment <laughs> that brought you to the community. Uh, all right. So I'm some dude in his 30s and I'm, I'm in a bad marriage. My wife is like a bitch to me. She's super mean all the time. We never have sex like once a month when I bully her into it. And I'm, I'm sitting on a toilet where I do my best thinking and I have my cell phone out and I type some loser thing like, you know, fix my marriage, wife never fucks me, something like that. I, I forget what loser thing I typed. And I get this list of search results. And I think it was um, that Business Insider article, that hid piece on like what the red pill is and why you got to watch out for this strange group of men, something like that. And so I did what I always do when I see suspicious links on the Internet is I clicked it and started reading the content. <laughs> And like, so it's this hit piece on the red pill, like it has quotes, they interviewed some people, they pulled some stuff from the site, you know, and then there's a guy saying, you know, this is just crazy crap men believe. And I'm reading the quotes and I'm like, this doesn't sound that outlandish to me. So I, I navigate to the actual red pill on Reddit and I start reading the sidebar and all these top posts. And it's like, um, like it clicks, it resonates with me. Like this is explaining my marriage and not just my marriage, it's explaining like, every relationship I've ever had, all the girls who cheated on me and dumped me when I got too clingy, all the women I couldn't date that I ran off because I was, you know, you know, chasing too hard, all the women I could date because I was, you know, I didn't give a crap. Like, I mean, there's some stuff that was kind of out there, but like the rubric fit the experiences of my life. And I'm like, you know, holy crap, you know, it's explaining things. And so I read a whole bunch of stuff and then I started typing some edgy comments and people liked what I was typing. And so I started putting my thoughts on paper after I internalized some stuff and people were 
typing back and after internalizing some of my thoughts and, you know, the, just being a part of that conversation really drove me to, you know, as I had experiences, just put it on, you know, my computer screen, piss it out and see what the internet said about it. We got a whole string of threads we pulled up here. We wanted to talk about treating yourself like a human is a big one. Uh, the ABC stage, ABC stages of independence, embracing rejection, the stranger test is another good one. And a few others, if we get time, we can talk about those, but, yeah, I think this just it's a really good because it ties into what we were just talking about a second ago where um and so it, it just baffles me that that men, young men in particular, continue to try and treat women as they would men. We see it all the time and they they would expect a woman to react the way a man would react or they try to communicate with them in the way that they would expect their friends to respond to, their male friends to respond to. It's just baffling to me that that you know these guys don't understand the fundamental fundamental truth that men and women are just inherently different and complementary to each other. Yeah. Moreover, I've at least it's been my experience that a lot of guys have trouble interacting with other guys. Like I'll go to a gathering and I will see guys like you know they'll hang out with women and they'll talk about stuff with women, but you know, but then like. Like they don't know how to talk to the other dudes. Like I don't know, maybe they're, they're not in the sports, they don't know how their car works. Whatever the dudes are talking about, they haven't traveled or experienced enough, and like they stand there awkwardly among other guys, and that kind of stands out. Like when a guy is only chatting up women in the room and like can't really hang with the dudes, like it looks a little weird. Like what's up with that guy? Like, mm -hmm. and so they're talking to women. I think I guess more is like, you know they're just more secure doing that. But when it comes to like how to hang with dudes, they had just never learned or internalized that. Now is this something that you're seeing with the younger generation or guys our age? I'd say a little of both. Like, um, I live out in the burbs, so I mean, I hang out, you know, with like 30, 40 year old guys, and you know, so we see like, you know, your computer engineer down the road. He's like, you know, awkward as everything, you know. And then the guys I like do jujitsu with, like, they're they're more manly men. We'll hang out and like drink whiskey and watch UFC fights. So you know, I see all types. And um, I guess um, before I started working from home during this whole virus thing, you know, back when I was working in the law firm office, we had some younger attorneys come in, and so I'm seeing guys in their twenties, thirties, and they're, you know. Yeah, they're not quite, you know, I guess the, the same kind of guy as I was when I was growing up. I don't know. It's, it's hard to really put in the words, but like, yeah, younger guys, I don't, I don't want to say they're more womanly, but I think just a whole younger generation is trending toward that, I don't know, androgynous women are more like men, men are more like women. So the men talk to women like men and are awkward talking to men like men. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. I think everyone's just kind of trending toward average. Yeah. One of the biggest things I bring up with guys who wash up on our shores uh stealing that one from boss is um <laughs> do you have friends like so you want to get girls okay great you want to improve your career okay great like do you have fucking friends there is no life without company and if you can't do the basics of forming a bond with another human being like why would anybody fuck you why would anybody promote you yep yeah. Moreover, like if you don't have friends and somehow you fluke into having a girlfriend, like you're also going to try to make her into your best friend and your primary social outlet. And you're going to spread her really thin. Like she's going to have too much on her plate to do all that and be a good girlfriend. Yeah, I, I written had an article or a post that he uh, he had actually come up with and and I, I commented on it to the effect of. Uh, I can I can respect somebody who ha who is not great with women, but I can't respect anybody who doesn't have one male friend. And you know if if you have if you have even one friend in the world, you are a discerning person. You're a, you are a person who cares about 
you know, getting to know people in, in, and cares about quality over quantity. If you have one friend in the world, one good friend, if you have zero friends, you're an utter failure. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like I've had the same best friend since I was eight years old, you know, and like he's still my best friend today, you know. So, yeah, I was one of those bullied kids in elementary school, you know, I was, you know, a little weird and socially awkward. Imagine that. And so, you know, all the other kids, you know, to make fun of me, the, the bullies would rough me up during recess. This is back in the 1980s, you know, so we don't have this zero tolerance for bullying, gay crap, you know, like um, self-esteem is king, any of that. So as long as my grades are good, my teachers don't care, my parents don't care, I'm not coming home with marks on me or anything. You know, so like everyone's like roughing me up. I don't have any friends. And this one boy, he goes home and he says, you know, mom, there's this strange kid archwinger at school. And like, and everyone's making fun of him and beating him up. And his mom is like really active in her church, one of like the important people there. And she says, you're going to invite him over and you're going to be his friend. And so he's the only friend I have. And he's only hanging with me because his mom made him. And I know that. And I hang out with him anyway, because, you know, he's all I got. And so I spend like my whole, you know, childhood and like the elementary school years with this one friend. But, you know, once you get past, you know, how, you know, like a dorky I was back as a kid and, you know, people kind of find me smart and funny. And so, you know, he's my only friend growing up. I go through my awkward middle school years, you know, those tween years where we're having like school dances, but like boys and girls are so weird around each other and, you know, no one's anything to do with me. And it's finally, you know, after 15 years of being a loner with one friend, I get to high school and I have, you know, I'm this you know weird loner kid who reads books, plays video games. I sneak out of my parents' house to go jogging because I'm, I'm weird like that or something. And so I'm in high school. I don't give a shit. I do what seems like a good idea at the time. I join the debate team. I sing in the choir. I'm, I run cross country. I join an after-school writing society. We write poetry and recite it to each other. I'm such a freaking nerd. But throughout the whole time, I don't give a crap. So I, I don't have any expectations of people. I'm not looking for friends. I'm not trying to get with women. I'm just doing what seems like a good idea. And like there's something to just kind of being authentic like that where you, you start to resonate with people. And then suddenly people think I'm smart and I'm funny. And so, you know, and then like, like there are girls who are talking to me and giving me attention. So naturally, I, I've been so love star my whole life. I run them off and immediately start chasing them with like boyfriend intentions. So, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't work out until I eventually I, I calibrate all that. And then and I spend all of high school with like having a string of girlfriends, like my nerdy friends, you know, they don't have anybody. And I have girlfriends all through high school, me, the socially awkward kid growing up. So, you know, yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, all those experiences. You I forgot what I was talking about. Put a pin in that because you just said a really interesting word, calibration. And I know, Mike, we talked about this as a future up, uh, a future video, but what does that mean to you, calibration? Um, failing a heck of a lot because that's really the only way. I mean, especially like if you're a guy who I'm, I'm having trouble with women or I'm having trouble making friends or I'm having trouble whatever you're doing, getting the job or whatever. Like you, there's something you're lacking. There's some skill, something you're not getting, and it's not something you can read about or I don't know. Like it's not the answer is not on the internet. You're gonna have to go out there and you're gonna have to try and fail about five hundred thousand times, and then five hundred thousand and one suddenly things are working, and you just learn from your experiences. So yeah, that calibration came after me chasing off like fifty girls, and girl fifty one became my girlfriend or something. So there you go. Yeah, yeah it's it's failing and and then doing something about that failure. Yeah, but it's kind of one of those intangibles. Like I couldn't write in a notebook what did I learn from the first fifty girls I didn't get. It's just a matter of I'm trying things and I'm internalizing things. I, I you know I can't describe. I'm not writing it down. There's no rule book or bullet point list. Just you get better at something without even realizing what you're learning.
that's what I think a lot of guys miss is you, you shouldn't need an Excel spreadsheet and 19 different articles by idiots on the internet with a red hat, or you shouldn't need <laughs> to listen to you know, hundreds of hours of YouTube yeah. content just to figure this stuff out. Like go out, talk to people, screw it up and, and get better. Yeah. If anything, getting on the internet and pretending you're improving yourself by watching YouTube and reading, you know, BS Manosphere articles, like that's not really helping you. That'll give you some ideas. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's like, you know, building the muscle to gym. If you're not actually working, it's not getting stronger. And yeah. your muscle doesn't know what it's learning when you do curls or something. Your muscle is just getting stronger. It's the same with anything else. Yep. Yeah. A bullet point, you know, uh, PowerPoint on uh, YouTube is not going to do it. You actually got to put this into action. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, the Spurgs' favorite activity is consuming for endorphins. A list of things for his future plan of inaction, as I like to say. <laughs> computer toucher. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Archer, I wrote this post called "The Computer Toucher Disease," and it's phenomenal. I'll send it to you, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> I might be up on my own shit a little bit. Regardless, though, um, one of the w- one of the big prescriptions I've given a number of guys that's helped them has just been like, okay, you're now banned from any content that would be considered self help or about things you should do. You're banned. You're only allowed to go out and do it for a while, and then you need to come back here, write about it if you feel like it, or just DM it to me, whatever. But like, you're banned from filling your head with more bullshit. Yeah, I'd much rather real read a field report about. I, I went out and I did this thing and I screwed it up. I taught, I went to talk to the hostess at Applebee's and it didn't work out so well. I'd much, <laughs> I, now, not only is that entertaining, but secondly, like there's, there's, there's a real insight into what that guy's mindset was, where he was screwing up. And I can say, look, here's your, here's your problem. You know, if you well, took, and you know, Archwinger nailed it with an earlier point saying it's those guys who stopped reading and went out and did the thing. That makes you actually happy to have written whatever it was that inspired them. 99% of the time, there, there isn't a problem anyway. Like I went out, I talked to the Applebee's hostess. I said this, she said this. You can't dissect that conversation. I mean, the problem was she had a boyfriend or the problem was she's a lesbian or the problem was she has a yeast infection that day and she's not feeling it. Like she was not going to go home with you and there was no right thing to say. You didn't screw it up, you know? And so some armchair guy on the internet dissecting your field report and telling you how you screwed up when he doesn't go out and talk to girls either. Like that's not helping anybody. Yeah, I, I always chastise people. Yeah. I say, um, when, when I read a, a question that's really thinly disguised as such, I say, bro, I hate to break it to you, but we're not here to give you the pussy password. It doesn't exist. I do like the, uh, the feedback cycle that a lot of these guys give because others can learn from their experiences, especially when they're seeking uh, help for troubleshooting some of these issues that they've been running into, like a a common uh, just hitting the wall over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, if they can't see it because they're they're too buried in it, and it just, yeah, sometimes it happens. And having an external or third party uh, perspective helps. So yeah, I like this. I like the the field reports for that purpose. We're just having a real friend who's like, you know, the way you're standing and you're picking your nose. You know, someone who's <laughs> reading on the internet is not going to know that. Yeah. Man, you yeah. stink. Get a shower. You know. <laughs> There's, yeah, I'm what, surprised by how many of these guys are in the world that don't know the basics. How are they getting to this stage of their life without knowing you're supposed to take a shower every day? Or if you stink, you know, get in those folds, lose some weight, do the basics. Knows, 
there's no social circles for men anymore, but we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. We don't need to belabor it here. Yeah, it's just it just boggles the mind how it's become this big of an issue and when a, we have this out there today. It's one of those things also where yeah. once again there is no bulleted list or Excel spreadsheet. Like nobody sat me down and told me this is how you shower. Or like you know, it's just something you kind of pick up. Like you're you're you know you're in a locker room, you do your thing, and you know what does and doesn't stink. Like no one had to tell you how to do it. You just kind of saw it man the things i've seen i'll tell you afterwards oh my god well being kind of a guy of a little bit older generation as you know a few of us are on this call you know what what are the things that you you know we we just talked about a few times how uh you know young guys have to come to the internet and find this stuff now and these nuggets of truth are are out there but that's not the way it used to be um and certainly i'm sure that you know some of the wisdom that your dad or grandfather or any influential male figure in your life had, you know, imparted onto you. What are the the things that, that you took away from real life that stuck with you uh, that you synthesized into this understanding that, you know, that came up in your writing? <sighs> That's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. My dad never sat me down and talked to me about the birds and the bees. Like, you know, I, I don't think I learned much from the older generation. Mm-hmm. I think most of what I learned was, um, from my own generation, because they're the ones sitting in the same chair I am. They're the ones the same age, trying to get after the same girls I'm trying to get after, you know? So yeah, like, you know, just throughout my life, like, you know, I had my best friend and he was my only friend growing up. So, you know, his friends were kind of like my acquaintance friends. And so that's kind of our guy group. And we're, we're some, a little bit of the outcast nerdy guy, but even we still want girls. So we pine after like the, the choir girls and the debate team girls. And we have our little things we talk about when we're in private. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just finding guys in your own generation. I think it's if a guy doesn't have a group of friends or if his group of friends are mostly internet friends or they're mostly like, I don't know, like stinky loners or whatever the, the younger generation you guys can tell stories about now are. I, I guess they're missing a piece there. But yeah, I think just most of this came from hanging with dudes and talking about our experiences. Like, so my best friend had this uh, friend he met in high school. Like, um, the, he was like the, the bad guy our, our moms didn't approve of at all. Cause like he got his car at a young age. Like, um, he came from a divorced home. He would always break into his parents' liquor cabinet. Like he had the cool stories where, you know, like he's fucking his girlfriend on the couch at age 16. And like her mom comes home with groceries and drops them all over the floor or something. And she was like, Oh my God, what would you have done if I had been, here that you know like an hour later it's like well, i was planning to be gone an hour actually <laughs> yeah. and so he had all these cool stories he was the one like hooking up with girls from clubs and stuff so you know like he was like our influence we were always at his house drinking and you know chatting and hearing his stories and yeah and like you know, so yeah i mean it's just guys in your own generation you know your own age who are going after the same girls i think they're the best source of what's working for girls your own age so what were your important takeaways looking back now uh from your cohort Oh, you know, I don't think I took away what I should have when I was that age. I think looking back, there's so much I should have done differently and no no point dwelling on that. But, you know, I I was a good boy back then. You know, I I thought of, you know, the same path we were all taught. that I'm supposed to date a girl for a while, you know, get serious, fall madly in love, be on the path to marriage. And maybe then she'll she'll give me the favor of sexual intercourse. And so I did not know I was supposed to be aggressively trying to have sex with girls. I guess uh, my opening experience came age 17. I lost my virginity. Um, so 
yeah, my first serious girlfriend, and I actually met in the bulletin board systems. This is like, you know, 1996 before we have the internet in people's houses. So, you know, I'm on my own, like, 2400 baud modem, like, logging into this, like, chat bulletin board. And there's this girl who lives across town, smokes like a chimney, you know, lives in the trailer park. Her parents are divorced, you know. And so I lie to my parents about where I'm going, take my dad's car, go and take her out on dates. And so this is the girl I end up losing my virginity with. And, like, she, you know, couldn't shut about her ex-boyfriends and all the guys she'd had sex with, you know, and, like, she's telling me all these stories and i'm like you know holy shit there is this like other side of the universe that i have not been a part of you know people are doing this stuff and for the longest time i thought it was only the bad people who do that you know girls in the wrong side of town guys like you know my you know our, my friend our moms all hated like i didn't know that like everyone's hooking up and i'm the weird one you know like i thought everyone else like those were the bad people and most people are like you know the honors student you know treat women like princesses crowd you know yeah, no one rib pills you like a woman. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so I mean, looking back, you know, young me did not get the right lessons. Old me can look back at all kinds of things I missed at all stages of my life and say, you know, I didn't see that, you know, then, but I see it now. And who knows what I'm missing right now that I'll see in 10 years. Man, that sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a good place now. I'm in my 40s. I mean, how much more can I have to learn? You know, how much longer am I going to live even, you know, especially in this crazy world? Hmm. But that's interesting that looking back perspective of, of like, hey, what's a male voice that I wish I had, you know, 10 years ago when I was, you know, 25, 26. Um, and, and I think that comes through in your writing. And really, though, I mean, young me, I don't think there is any male voice that could have told me, Archwinger, this is how it is. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't have listened. I'm, I'm, oh, you know, yeah. I'm a stupid guy who thinks he knows everything, you know, and today I'm a stupid guy who thinks he knows everything. So, you know, like nobody can tell me anything, but 10 years to look back and say that guy was right. Yeah, you always you have to learn lessons one way or another. And sometimes that that's the hard way. Right. Yeah. It's so I guess it's got to be experiential. It's not experiential. It's not real. Yeah, it's like you said. Yeah. I, I think I'm learning more from women than from men. I mean, I learned a lot from you know all the stuff I missed in my first marriage. I learned more about myself from my first marriage. Than I did about even you know my wife. I was married to for ten years. Now here I am married again. You know, and I'm I'm still rediscovering myself every day. Like I'm thinking, learning more about myself from women than I am from from any you know mm -hmm. guy I've ever interacted with. Could you expand on that a little more? I'm, I'm curious because. I've had somewhat similar experiences, but I'm curious on your take. Yeah, I guess like I mentioned earlier, my first wife turned out to like girls. And looking back, like there were some signs that at the time I did not realize were signs. And today looking back, like maybe they're even pretty obvious signs. Like um like the way we had sex. She didn't like kissing. Like every woman likes kissing. Like women will kiss you for four hours straight and like not have sex with you and they'll think that was a good night. But like if you try to have sex without kissing enough, that offends women. But like my wife, she did not like kissing at all. Like, you know, she would like perfunctorily like peck me a few times. And then like she didn't like foreplay. Like, you know, it took me forever to finish because like, you know, I had to get all of my stimulation just from the intercourse act because she would not touch it. She did not want to acknowledge the penis. Like, and then like there was one time we were having sex and like, you know, usually it was like starfish missionary where I flipped her over, sort of having sex from behind and she loved it because A, the angle was better for her and B, she didn't have to look at me. Like, I don't know, she could like, pretend I was someone else. She was somewhere else or whatever. Like it was so much better for her. And so, you know, 
But even then, there were times where I would catch her eye, you know, and I could tell she wasn't really into it. You know, you, you die a little bit inside every time there because, you know, you have to bully your wife once a month into sex. And so, you know, so she ended up doing something kind of disrespectful to me, like nothing like serious, like cheating or anything. But like, you know, I ended up catching her in a lie and, you know, I, I knew the truth and I asked her about something to see what she would say. And like looking me in the eye, she just told me a bald face lie. It did not miss a beat. Like it just came out like she was telling me what she had for lunch today. Strong eye contact, perfectly even breathing, nothing irregular about her vocal inflections. Like, like she could have been reading to me the phone book. And I'm like, oh my God, she, without missing a beat, this was her natural reaction and she is good at it. If I did not already know the truth, hmm. like, you know, I would have been completely fooled. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't trust anything this woman was telling me. And so, you know, things started going downhill from there. And um, I, toward the end, I remember the last time we had sex. She got back. She had to go with, um, out of town once a month for work. And she came back, and I liked what she was wearing. And so I said, there's no way you're not getting fucked tonight. And so, you know, I throw her in the bed, and I have sex with her. And this time I flip her over. I'm doing her from in front, and I make her look at me. And I can see how bad she doesn't want it. And in the moment, it felt good. Like, it felt powerful. It felt like justice. And, like, that guy is a hard guy to look at in the mirror. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I shouldn't have to want to put a woman through that or be, you know, be in that kind of relationship. And I don't know, like, not liking who I am when I'm with a woman, like, that was beginning to end for me. And so, like, the next time my wife picked a fight and threatened divorce, instead of, like, having the usual, you know, red pill bat her down, I said, you know what, I think that's a good idea. And she was taken aback by that, of course, you know, but I'm like, no, it's good, you know, I'm get the paperwork, you know, is all I care about is 50-50 custody with our daughter. If you give me that, I will be fair with you and everything else. If you try to screw me on that, I will fight you every step of the way and I will run aside of money. I got a six-figure job, I'll be fine. And so, you know, that worked out and it turned out she ended up coming out and telling me that she thinks she likes girls. And, you know, I, I guess that kind of felt better. Like it wasn't entirely my fault for not measuring up. There was something insurmountable. I have a really big penis, impossible to ignore. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so at least like 20 times during the divorce, she like tried to talk me out of it. And I'm like, look, you know, you can love whoever you want to love, whatever you want to love. But one thing you definitely do not love is me. You're just worried about money and you're worried about change. And you know what? I get it. I'm worried about money and I'm worried about change too. You know, but we're going to be fine. We're going to take good care of our daughter. We're going to move forward. And, you know, at that time I was already, you know, dating a bunch of other women. Like online dating is pretty easy, you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm tall. I work out. You know, I have a six-figure salary. Like 30-something single moms is like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was hitting online dating and having a pretty easy time of it. And so, you know, that, that made it even easier to tell my wife, like, no, I am not going to reconsider anything. And so, yeah, and we went our separate ways. Um, the, our daughter's doing great. She's 10 now. You know, we trade custody every other week. And she's got a girlfriend. She's happy. I'm happy. And now I'm remarried. Um, my my new wife um, is like eight weeks pregnant. Um, we're not officially telling people yet. But um, you guys are just some assholes on the internet. I don't know you anyway. So, so I can tell you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the NDA does not apply to cunts on the internet. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious, Archwinger, because I've been through an accelerated version of this, albeit with no kids. There comes a moment where you reach emotional detachment from a person, and then there's a point where you become comfortable with that emotional detachment, where rather than not caring, you enter a different stage of caring about the person and or being willing to work with them. Um, did you have a similar experience? 
Yeah, I would say the entire last three years of my marriage is when I kind of just unhooked my happiness from my wife and, you know, just went on, you know, our, my, my own separate ways. Like I was doing my own thing. She was doing hers. We were essentially roommates who occasionally fought about stupid stuff. And like when I stopped caring whether she was happy and stopped treating every one of her issues as serious issues and just kind of let her do her thing in rage because really she was going to be a bitch and try not to fuck me, you know, whether she was having those issues or not. And that gave me a lot more free time and a lot more time for introspection, a lot more time to do my own stuff. And I think those, you know, last few years of practice kind of being on my own and not riding her emotional roller coaster meant that by the time I got out the other end and you know, actually had a divorce going, I was already ready to work with her. I already knew what I wanted. I was able to talk her down every time she was, you know, having a crazy divorce issue and, you know, we, we mostly just focus on our daughter. But yeah, I mean, I care about her happiness to the extent that, you know, if she is unhappy, it affects me, it affects my daughter, it affects my wife. So, you know, I, I care about her happiness. I just, you know, we're not drinking buddies or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the point that I was looking for, um, because I think one of the odd things that's happened with a lot of the things, a lot of the basic concepts that we've written in the sidebar is that people internalize them as a means to be either perpetually angry or feel victimized. Um, whereas the experienced guys I've talked to who have been through it, whether it was marriage or girlfriends or whatnot, or even just casual sex dating scene, hold very little resentment towards others and particularly their partners. So mm -hmm. the reason why I ask the question is because I always, I feel like there's a point where you're willing to, as you said, decouple yourself from the person in terms of yourself, but that gives you a level of freedom to treat them like a human being. So yeah, I always that like to say the, the red pill is the radical belief that women are people. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That does come, I think with life experience in general. I mean, as you get older and you do more things, you just, you become a more complete person. You have more stuff to talk about. You're not awkward in conversations with people. You have more things you care about, more things you believe in, like to do. And I don't know, then suddenly like, you know, to impressing a woman or being, you know, caught up in her issues is less important. And also impressing your friends being caught up in their issues is less important. You're more secure and whole as your own person and you can interact with the world as that person. Well, I want to tie this back to, to what Richard was just talking about in terms of, you know, hey, uh, we, we say this a lot on on the, the YouTube channel, which is there's another human being on the other end of this interaction, right? I, and Ritten has said a couple of times that it, like advanced advanced game is all just really treating like a human being, let them make their own choices and, and accepting that for what it is and not really getting emotionally invested in it. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, so please correct me if I'm, I'm mischaracterizing that, but uh, there's, there are a lot of threads to your, your post on treating yourself like a human. And one of the interesting things that um, that I'd like to get your thoughts on here is you basically draw a, a difference between treating for a lot of guys, the way that they're brought up or the way that they're conditioned is treating women like human beings is basically putting them up on a pedestal and treating yourself like a human being is treat yourself like a, like a workhorse. And they're, without even knowing it, they're much harder on themselves. It, it, I, a lot of people are, but especially men nowadays are much harder on themselves uh, than they need to be, than is just necessary. Uh, so I, I'd like your thoughts on that and, and kind of what prompted that in the post. Yeah, I guess at the time I wrote that, you know, I was feeling a bit like, um, you guys ever read Metamorphosis? Ovid? Franz Kafka. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, good follow-up, but yes. Yeah, it, it, it's a book about this uh, guy. I think his name's Gregor or something, you know, and he wakes up one morning and realizes he's, like, turning into some kind of cockroach creature. And at first he says, it's, oh, my God, I'll be late to work. And, you know, so he, he's been supporting his family. His dad's out of work. You know, his, his mom is like a, a do-nothing. His sister's playing the violin. He loves his sister so much that he wants to spend all his money, like, helping her become a virtuoso or something. And, like, and so he goes to work every day, like, you know, to to provide for his family who all hate his guts and like take him for granted. And like he misses one day at work because he's horribly ill, turning into a cockroach and his office is calling the man, know where he is. So he never takes a sick day and they come and demand to see him because they don't believe he's sick and he can't show them because he's like transforming into a roach or something. And like, he doesn't want to see it because they'll like people worry about it. And so, and so the, the whole book is like, you know, how his family has to eventually learn to depend on themselves because he's turned into like an insect. And like, you know, in the end, like they have to keep bringing him food and feeding him and they hate it and they finally kill him. And then once they're free of him, then the family goes on to live happier lives. It turned out that by being what he was to them in the beginning, he was actually holding them down. It's like the symbolic journey where he gets used and abused and bled out for everything he is. And in the end, like only by freeing themselves of him can his family be free of him. And I think, you know, I was kind of feeling like that guy at the time when I, you know, wrote that post. I'm thinking, you know, as guys, there are things we want out of life and we're told the path to get those is we have to earn those things. We have to perform. We have to do things. We almost have to earn the right to be human. Because, you know, what, what's a human? You know, what do we want out of life? Is we want enough money to have a place to live, food to eat, want a wife by our side, want to have kids. We want that normal life but we're told we have to earn it. And so we, we you know, tell ourselves that we must do these things and then we will earn that life. But then often we do those things, we don't earn that life. In fact, we do those things that sometimes even contravene our ability to achieve that life because what we're really doing is by performing, we're sabotaging ourselves. We weren't aggressively seeking that life. We were aggressively performing tasks, hoping the rest of the world will bestow that life upon us. And it just doesn't always happen that way. Most times it doesn't. Um, and then you, you go on to outline essentially the polar opposite of what you described, which is um, a guy that wants sex every other day. He doesn't want to spend money frivolously on dates and buy a bunch of stuff for, you know, some some woman who's basically just, you know, giving him a certain amount of attention and kind of an accessory to his life. He wants to hit the gym on Fridays after work, come home, cook himself a couple of chicken breasts, doesn't mind throwing one on extra for her. Uh, and then, you know, you go into like, hey, what if what if this guy just stuck to kind of what he wants and what what he values? And I thought it was a really interesting mental exercise of she would end up feeling manipulated because she had an expectation in her mind of what she was worth and what she wanted to get out of a relationship. And she she made the choice to stay with him and settle for less, which is, a, again, treating people like a human being. That was her choice to stay with this guy. Um, you know, but the ego can't handle that, of course. So she she's disappointed and upset about that. Well, every interaction between two people is, to some extent, some kind of power negotiation. I mean, whether it's with a woman, whether it's with your friends. I mean, people have an expectation of you to fulfill some kind of role in your life. But if it's a woman, maybe you know, if you're her casual partner, your role is very simple and easy. You can go cook chicken breast, ignore except when you're having sex and. But like, you know, if you're her boyfriend, you've agreed to a different role and she has different expectations. And so, you know, if you're her husband, you have a different role. She has different expectations. And so you have a role in her life. And if you fail to fulfill that role, 
that's going to piss her off like, you know, more sure than anything. And so if a woman's in a position with you where she has maybe misjudged your role, then she's going to find herself very put off by the fact that you're doing what you think your role is, but she had different expectations of you. And so, you know, I mean, I don't know how clear that is. Like, obviously, you know, if like you're some casual partner of a woman and she expects the girlfriend treatment, she's being unreasonable. But like, you know, if, you know, she's your wife and you're constantly disappearing, coming back at 3 a.m., you're not really fulfilling the role of husband very well. So maybe she has a legitimate grievance. Well, I think this is why it's so important to set the framework, uh, set the boundaries, the expectations early before people can get uh, comfortable and then feel jaded or, or tricked or whatever later. So as long as you're creating that, establishing that framework early on of this is what I expect, this is what the relationship is going to be, then you kind of avoid a lot of these issues long term. I think I actually said this in my interview, but I said, if you want to be the leader of the relationship or something paraphrased, like you have to fucking act like it. That's the role you think you want to play. Then you have to play that role. And sometimes that's not always being nice. Sometimes there will be some fantasies that need to be destroyed in the process of establishing something that actually works for you. And I think one of the most core tenets of the red pill is I won't say controlling the narrative. I don't like the word control. Um, I don't think it properly serves what's, what's happening, but I would say that in my experience, in most heterosexual relationships, you have a leader and a follower. If you want to be the leader in that dynamic, then you need to be willing not only to accept the responsibility of leadership, but also to control the fantasy. Yeah, I think, I think shaping the narrative is a big, big part of that. Um, let me read one of Archwinger's comments here, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll try and keep this quick. Uh, power is really the core of the red pill. Uh, men show up here because they feel powerless. They either can't successfully find relationships, are in shitty ones, or have just lost one, and it feels like there's nothing they can do. Like they're helpless before the power and choice and whims of women. Women either choose them or they don't. It's the way they want things or the highway. Speaking about men here. Uh, and then they leave when they want. So talking about men in that way and then you go on to say that that taking power away from women basically reclaiming personal power not not power necessarily over other people but but the power to what's called autonomy autonomy uphold your boundaries make your own choices it's empowering themselves respect yourself over what other people want yeah and reclaiming that and and, and taking that for yourself I, I i would agree that it's the core of the red pill but um you know, you, you wrote this, let's say, what is it? Yeah, you wrote this six years ago. What's your take on that today? Six years later, when you think about, you know, lot, there's a lot of conversation today around men and power structures. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just more about that negotiation, like I said. I mean, who says where the line is? Like, this is my autonomy. This is my rightful power. I'm just reclaiming it. You know, another person might say, no, you're stealing power from the woman. You're manipulating her. You're bullying her in a relationship she doesn't want. I mean, and I guess who's to say where that line should be? That's between you and whoever you're negotiating with. And I guess today we have a lot of external factors now. Society has a push, you know, in like the business world and other places where I guess other people now are weighing in their opinion on what powers you do and don't have a right to have as a man. And, you know, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. You know, I'm just trying to keep my head down and, you know, wait till Bitcoin hits a bajillion dollars and maybe go somewhere tropical. I don't know. 
what can yeah. I say? I'm not, I'm not really a problem solver here. You know, I'm just trying to get by and pay the mortgage and not make too many waves and, you know, enjoy my time with my kid and my wife. Yeah. But, but contextually as a guy who, who has, you know, a family to think about or who has, you know, friends and, and extended family to think about, uh, certainly this affects you, right? It, it affects you in terms of the conditions that are being imposed upon you externally versus what you choose for yourself. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had the good fortune of, you know, I, I work for a decent employer, a small law firm. We're not too affected by the, the social whims. You know, we do work for a lot of big clients who are, but I mean, our function is very, you know, intellectual. We're not involved in any of that. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty clear with the wife that, you know, we live pretty far off the grid. I mean, not, not too far, too far, but we're out in the burbs, you know, away from major you know, urban centers. But I told the wife, you know, second shit in our part of the city is on fire. You know, that's it. We're on a plane. We're out of here. You know, like second things get bad. You know, we, we're not sticking around for this. Like solving the problems of the world, I think, is a little bit beyond you know, just one man here on the Internet. Yeah, you got to take care of you and yours first. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know. I, I think that's maybe the role of the man is, you know, once you're committed to a woman, you're her husband and you have kids and, you know, expecting kids like taking care of your own is really, you know, more important than fighting a good fight for men versus women in society and whatever else is out there against us. I mean, if you want to get political for a second, I think that's a big problem with what's going on in the world right now is you've got people that have no attachments, idle hands. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the rabble rousing. It's these Idiots, uh, give you an example like the uh, the riots we saw in 2020. Yeah, how, that's many really... the, how many of them do you think had families at home that they got to worry about taking care of? Probably not a lot. I think people who get swept up in stuff like that are just kind of lost and looking for something to belong in. Like, I think a lot, especially the younger generation, just don't have that sense of connection. Like, people used to be connected to their parents and their ancestors, connected to their children, to their descendants. They felt like they were a part of something and mm -hmm. that something was their family, you know, or their community. And we don't really have that sense anymore. And so everyone's looking for something else to belong to. And so when you're untethered from your ancestors, from your descendants, from your community, and you know, at that point, what differentiates one person from another is, I guess, is ideology. I think it's a fundamental breakdown of the social cohesion. How we fix that, I have no idea. Well, that's a big thing of what we deal with. If, if, if I had to consolidate the underlying theme of a lot of the people that I've helped, it is a lack of identity. Mm -hmm. And there's probably not a direct fix on a societal level in a globalized world to a lack of identity. It used to be a lot easier to pick a religion or pick a nationalism or whatever. And the, the people who want to bring us back there are just as dumb as the people who want to destroy all society. But to close the idea, if you can make a man's identity what he wants and he can define what he wants, I found that the progress becomes extremely rapid from there on out. That's a tough question to answer, though. Like, even if you ask me today, who are you? Like, you know, I don't know if I could put that into words. I'm still discovering myself every day, you know? And that's one of the core, uh, core components of what we do is we try to get guys on the right track with their mission, the, you know, establishing some goals to achieve their mission, and really just getting into, like, how do you define yourself? And it's shocking how many people don't have this fundamental understanding of who they are in the world. They'd never even ask themselves the question most times of mm -hmm. what would what would be fulfilling for me as a person.
and our trigger i agree with your point but that's that's someone who's actually thought about what that question means to even have that answer you have to have thought about it to understand that it is not simply a work in progress but rather what i tell guys a lot of times is pick a direction and go and you have the right to change your mind later but you have to pick a direction and fucking go especially in your early 20s if you can't take advantage of all that testosterone and arrogance that your early 20s gives you, then like, I, I don't know what else to tell you. And the time to make mistakes and recover. Yeah, like go fuck up yeah. a little bit. That's such I a hard age, that. though. I mean, in your 20s, like you don't know what you want or what's important at all. You're a stupid kid. You just want to, you know, get your degrees and get a good job and, you know, meet girls. And like, I don't know, like. Uh, but to me, at age 20, and to me who I am today, like I, I am nothing close to the same person. I don't think I was traveling in any direction at age 20. I was just kind of wandering around, lost and confused. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with you. But if you think about a kid who's essentially raised primarily by the internet and is stuck with a paroxysm of conflicting ideas, picking a direction and go, as far as I can tell, at least in my empirical anecdotal evidence, seems to be a pretty good panacea. Yeah, I can't speak to new generation. <laughs> They're not like us, man. Um, and, I, and by no means, I know everyone's shit on the younger generation forever, but you have to realize that like, half these kids haven't read an important book or they've, they've lived a life of what I like to call received opinions, meaning that the things that they'll share with you if you kind of poke into them and prod into them don't actually have substance because they're some they're it's an opinion that they received from somewhere else. Yeah, they're not able to to distill that into a coherent thought or extrapolate other ideas based off of that. To to distill it into something useful for the people who listen to this, the reason why I champion pick a direction and go is the same reason why I ban people who work with me from self-help. It's stop filling your head with knowledge, go get some experience, even if it's not the most pleasant kind. And that will give you information about whether the direction you're traveling in is helpful or hurtful to you. Like I, I had a guy who I like to call my original project, who's been an absolute success and is a contributor on the server. But um, he had always been the guy who falls in love with the girl, like beta chases her, and then you know is subservient for the portion of the relationship. And so I told him candidly what i believe is you really can't call yourself a believer in red pill beliefs if you don't at least go out and try and have some casual sex and i'm not saying that because i think casual sex is the be all end all it just gives you some information about how people behave and what they want out of you and how those needs evolve over time and it was after the moment where he'd had a little bit of it and he got his very first same day lay that he texted me that day and was like, I actually don't like casual sex. And I said, congratulations, you're a man and you figured out what you want. <laughs> now you have to grapple with the consequences of getting what you want. So many things to come just with life experience in general. Like, you know, if you, if you knew what you knew now when you were 20, you would have taken a hundred different paths and you'd be in an even different place now. But I think a lot of these like kids in their twenties are still figuring it out. Just with time, they will figure it out. You, you can't not, otherwise, you know, you end up I don't know, jobless, homeless, dead, no women, I don't know, somewhere unhappy. Well, I, I think, think the I think is, we're is seeing less... a lot of that, though. The failure to launch is staggering. Yeah, it's less so the unhappiness of, like, becoming a drug addict or, like, working a dead-end job so much as it is, like, doing the basics and 
living in a one-bedroom apartment with no plan for your life that's really what haunts these guys there are a lot of like young kids like still living with their parents like at age 26 who are like well you know i don't want to work at burger king i want to find the job i want you know and so then they end up you know it's worse than that it's they're living at home now well into their mid-30s that's the new millennial reality it's 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 bad I'm glad I do not see all the things you guys see in my day job. Mm. Yeah. I have, I have some weird proclivity towards helping these people, but they tend to turn out to be fantastic projects. So that's just my curse. Yeah. It is worthwhile when they get out of mom's basement, you know, it's hard, yeah. it's hard to get laid there in mom's basement. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Netflix and chill hits way different when you actually own the couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've been going for about a little over an hour now, and I don't know how late you can go, but one of the things we always try to get a, a feel for is like what, out of all of your writings, out of all of your time in the community, what are just a couple of things that you think guys need to know? What are the most important lessons to take away from all of this? I guess like we touched on earlier is the proper direction for your anger and, you know, just focusing on yourself, you're who you're mad at and letting that go. That's probably the most important thing ever. Once you're not clouded by all of that rage at how unfair the world is and that feeling that like women have wronged you or deny you something important, like you can see the next step forward a lot more easily. But yeah, I guess um, a corollary to that is, you know, the the whole like, you know, denigrating women and thinking, you know, they're, they're, they're not so great because you know, I guess deep down inside you're jealous of their life, like, Really look at what the normal woman is like today. So some girl, you know, spends her college years going out, having boatloads of casual sex, and then, you know, ends up husband hunting and doesn't find someone who's in her late 20s, early 30s, you know, like, she's not getting her just desserts. She she played the game as well as she could. And, you know, she made the choices that were right for her at the time and to, I don't know, denigrate or hate a woman for having the gall to live the life maybe we wish we could have lived. I mean, that's the ideal male life, right? Like, fuck around till you're about 32 and get married. Like, that's pretty ideal for a guy, right? So, yeah, I don't know. Like, the I guess focusing on what the other sex is doing and really fixating on that and bitching about it all the time, like, that's, that's not productive. Like, they're going to do what they're going to do. And, you know... You just focus on yourself and what you want out of life and you know your past will cross many great women and many terrible women and you enjoy each woman for what she is and what she can do for your life and you know move on and you know maybe your ship's crossing in the night maybe you know you're you have flings maybe someone becomes your wife but you know like um, these are just people who are doing the best they can you're doing the best you can and you, you cross paths and do what you can with them it's interesting that you mentioned sort of the college turbo slut into like husband seeking behavior because that's actually a very interesting corollary to what we were talking about in the very beginning of the show which is a social psychological construct known as the apex fallacy which is where you look at who's at the top of whatever you perceive whatever your measurement perceives to be the top and then assuming and extrapolating from there and the reality is having dated a lot of young girls uh, you know, there are certainly some who do that, but for the most part, the internet generation is having a lot less sex. So if it's really that that you're concerned about, or the idea that women can go out and quote unquote, get whoever they want, all that is, is the projection of male sexuality onto a woman, which is the dumbest thing you could do. And then those women who are like hooking up with guys, they they think all guys are, you know, like you know, casual sex whores because they're looking at the kind of guys they're hooking up with and they assume, you know, 
every guy who is visible to them because like the, the bottom three quarters aren't is you know is just like that and so like they're surprised when they meet a guy like what do you mean you don't have a, a history a mile long i thought all guys did well it's funny because and i can speak to this that having a bit more involvement with the 20 year olds the young 20 year olds of today the, the funny part is the the one the women who are very well adjusted who had a lot of casual sex in college will actually tell you pretty much universally the same thing which is that men are actually pretty bad at casual sex oh, especially yeah. if you tell them first that it's casual and you don't want anything more they they get their egos involved at that point which is super funny but very understandable hmm. you know i can't think of any more major takeaways i mean you know like i said i, I wrote a whole lot of bullshit in the internet and i do not remember <laughs> nine tenths of it i'm sure it was all very brilliant <laughs> so I was sitting in the closet actually this is where I go because it's dark and it has like you know no windows it's really quiet so I will sit in my closet sometimes and like meditate for a little bit and I was thinking you know like you know if I you know had my my wish in the world I'd probably be a writer or something instead of a lawyer like this pays the bills you know it's a it's a, it's a good salary you know it lets me buy a little bit of crypto every month put a little bit in my 401k and hopefully maybe one day gather a rat race but like I think you know if in a perfect world I'd be like a writer on the beach I'd you know play guitar and you know sip good whiskey and drink good coffee and you know live out my days somewhere quiet and out of the way i don't know posting bullshit in the internet or writing a book or something well when you retire i'd love to meet up with you on the beach and we can drink some whiskey together and put some put the pen to paper and get some thoughts write some down bullshit on the internet bro. write some yeah. thoughts <laughs> down on the internet but yeah. say if you could make a living writing bullshit in the internet you know i'd probably be a millionaire by now you can uh, hold on you, wait, I, I thought, you can I I, I thought of a good one, Archwinger, um, because your work is impactful and it is resilient. What do you think it is that that creates in the collective community's mind the idea of you as a writer versus who you actually are? Like, where do you think that dichotomy emerges? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. I never thought about that. I mean, I guess it's mostly... Um... The, the, the edgy language. I think when you write language that has a little bit of like shock value to it, a certain tone, that tone kind of paints a picture in people's mind. Like, all right, here's a guy who's grabbed me by the balls, you know, has my attention. He's using these words, he's saying it this way. He's being really edgy and saying all the angry stuff that's speaking to me, but he's also saying like these smart sounding things because he's like not 19, he's like 40 or something. And so like he knows stuff. Like I'm going to read this whole post, even though I usually just read bullet point top 10 lists. And like by the time I get to the end, I'm like even angrier. I'm feeling something connected to my emotional center, you know, and I guess that's maybe how I you know, impact people on the internet, but uh, the, the real me is much more chill. Archwinger, he drinks and knows things. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things about his writing is, um, if I could just fanboy out for a second, your your writing is rhythmic in that it's short, punchy sentences that have, you know, you go from giving somebody some meaning, next sentence, a little bit more meaning, a little bit of context, back to some more meaning. And there's not a lot of fluff. I think it comes from knowing your audience. Like, um, 
I want to like you know, cast any stones, but like, you know, everyone directed me when I first showed up to the red pill to like Rolo's writing and I'm reading it and it's all the right stuff, but his writing style is way too flowery for me. I'm having trouble academic. following it. And like, very you know, academic, yeah. but modern testing indicates I have a decent IQ. I have a lot of degrees. I'm a reasonably smart guy. I'm having trouble following this stuff. It's just hard to read, you know, whereas like I'm on a red pill, I'm reading stuff and like I'm reading like, you know, Gay Lou Boyle's post or something. I'm like, why is that speaking to me more? Like what he's saying is like, you know, half as much content. And I'm like, it's his tone. Like the way you write, like that somehow opens people's minds. So I guess when I sit down to piss something out of my keyboard, I try to make it a little bit punchy. I don't know. Is punchy the right word? Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I've written the vast majority of my posts on my phone, on the toilet, maybe gone back and edited them. My favorite thing to do is post something or what I used to do when I was still writing is I would write something in like 25 minutes. And then I'd go back and edit it a few times, you know, correct the spelling errors, like all that other bullshit that comes out on the phone and just fix the little bits as it was going. And I agree with you that I think the, the tone creates the character and the character is what people idolize, um, regardless of whether the collective perception of you aligns with your personal self is kind of irrelevant, actually. Yeah, style counts for a lot. I guess going along that line, that uh, what were you guys expecting? Like, you know, the archwinger. Like, I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm just some dude. I'm not some guru on the mountaintop wisdom guy. You know, what were you expecting from all that tone and all that writing? Honestly, we've done enough of these now. It's, it's this is exactly what I expected. It's I'm just kind of used to it, I guess. Yeah, I, I came into this with no expectations, and uh, and also I had not read uh, most of your work until Joe sent it to me this week, and so <laughs> you believe it? I had uh, I had I had read a bunch of stuff, but uh, had not gone through the the complete work until this week. But it struck me as all really tight and cohesive in terms of how you were presenting everything from start to finish. Uh, few people nowadays, and I mean young people that are writing on the internet few people can make uh, a, a point and take you from a to b to c in, in via a coherent train of thought sadly uh, it's a lost it's a lost art form uh, i would say um but that's what struck out at me most and what's surprising is that uh, what surprised me most about talking to you today is that you've forgotten more of this wisdom that you've dished out on paper right um well like i you, said most of it's like get, more about the red pill than most people will know in a lifetime like, like like i was saying life is you know stuff you mostly internalize opposed to stuff you write down and record you know so there are things you pick up and they become a part of you and it's not really something you consciously know or recall but hmm. yeah i guess i kind of stopped actively writing stuff because i was sitting down typing a post and i realized you know like I have already said this in a different way in like three other posts. Or I think I read something Whisper wrote that's like exactly the same thing. Like I'm wasting my time here. And like, here I am a dude, you know, pushing 40 now. I'm probably about to get divorced. I'm a fraud. I don't know anything, you know? I, I can't tell a 22 year old guy how to have a hookup in college intelligently. I can tell him not to get married. I can tell him generally what women are like, but like my advice is becoming outdated. Like the original red pill was started, you know, like I guess a you know, decade or two ago by some dude in his 30s. Now there's a new generation of guys coming in. And what I have to say is probably pretty dated. I can't help those guys out too, too much. I can just write articles. that will speak to their anger. But I don't think their anger is that productive. It's misdirected. Well, I think you're, I, I, you're selling I, I yourself short a little bit. 
Yeah, I find that take funny because it, it's actually that type of advice that they need the most. But that having been said, I totally understand it. I, I've moved away from it and it wasn't just my account getting suspended. You grow out of it at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and that's healthy. Think, that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, you've made the impact that you think you can make. And for me right now, my hobby is helping people mostly in real life. And we have a filtering mechanism through the Discord that brings me good people. And eh, that's enough for a hobby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the thing I, th I just wanted to point out really quickly is that what we're talking about right now with your older writings, a lot of this stuff is evergreen material and having it out there that you can refer back to is nice. This is like one of the things we've done with the, uh, the RPU episodes is that now once it's out there, we don't have to keep re repeating ourselves over and over again. We just drop the link done. Oh yeah. It's, life is so much easier having that ability it's the, it's to reference, uh, Touchstone material. Yeah. I, I don't have to spend another 15 minutes explaining frame to somebody. Fantastic. <laughs> yep. So yeah, the material you've written is has been monumental in that respect. So yeah. So yeah, thank you for so good job. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if just if just one guy is going to the gym or talking to girls more, you know, I've made the world a very slightly better place and hopefully balanced out my karma for all the crap I am taking, using, and enjoying from the universe. Dude, hearing you say those words was eerie because I'm not kidding that maybe other than a word or two, it is the exact same thing that I say to people when they ask mm -hmm. me why I've done any of this. Mm -hmm. yep. When we get off here, we got to get you on the server sometime. I think it'd be fun to, to do a, a little meet and greet sometime. Yeah, 100%. Let the guys throw some questions at you instead of just us three. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to do this again sometime. Cool. Hey, Artwinger, I'm Indian and I think I'm gay. How do I, how do I get white pussy? <laughs> Just be prepared. Just be prepared. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm the fun, obscene one in this group. <laughs> well, oh, I think man. we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up right there. Cause we got some editing to do uh, a few things to beep out. Thank you for that written. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. This guys. has been so, fun. It has been fun. I want to yeah, say thank you for, uh, for joining us. So for those that don't know that we've been talking about, we do have a private community that we mentor. We have a public side, a private side. Go check it out. Link will be in the description. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks so much for your time, Archwinger, bro. Great Thanks, to guys. meet you.